And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. for the uh, Super Bowl, the Super Bowl of politics tonight, right? Are you ready for the debates? You're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report. I'm Doug Hagman, flying solo tonight. Our guest, uh, first segment's going to be uh, L.A. Marzulli. First couple of segments, L.A. Marzulli, taking us right up to the uh, debate. And then uh, from there, we're going to go ahead and run the debate with some commentary. Going to keep the debate live and uh, run some deb- run the debate with some commentary. You know, 100 million people are, are going to be tuned into the debate, so uh, we're going to be paying attention to what's going on. I, I personally think that, uh, folks, I, I think Hillary Clinton is going to come out swinging and she's going to look good. Uh, she's going to, uh, by all appearances, she's going to be put together at least for 90 minutes. And I, I do believe that the press is going to declare her the winner in substance and in form. That's my belief. Do I agree with it? No. Do I like it? No. Do I think it's real? No. Just saying. That this is, uh, t- to me, this is kind of what it will be, I believe. I want to welcome everyone listening to our program tonight, our show tonight. Uh, I want to welcome everyone listening all across Long Island. Thank you for tuning in, choosing our platform to, uh, as we, as we analyze the, the debate, the, the coverage, the, uh, even analyzing the debate coverage, the substance of the debate, and of course, uh, all the issues that are pushed aside because of the debate. At Hagman Report, Twitter, at Hagman Report, Facebook, Hagman Report. Go ahead and like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. I also have a, a personal Twitter account, Douglas, or Hagman PI, I'm sorry, Hagman PI, that's at Hagman PI. Um, so, so in a few minutes we're, we're going to be bringing on L.A. Marzulli to talk about uh, his latest with respect to the Days of Chaos. Boy, <laughs> there we are. And and some other pertinent salient issues, and of course at 9 o'clock, straight up Eastern Time, we're going to be uh, joining the debate live. We've got a monitor here, right there. Can you see it? If you're listening to this, uh, just imagine a, a 46-inch screen to to our right. If you are uh, uh, if you are watching, of course you can see it. So, having said that, that's uh, uh, it's all it's all good. Now, a couple of things here. Oh, the bathroom's ringing. No, never mind. Don't worry about it. Um. A couple of a couple of issues here. Hofstra University provides trigger warning for a presidential debate. Now, are you serious? And this comes and you can go to HagmanReport.com, folks. HagmanReport.com to take a look at this. Hofstra University posted a trigger warning sign to warn students that anyone going into the debate there. Oh my goodness, the potential for disturbing content might be discussed tonight, and if it if it causes you, um, you know, problems, folks. They have resources set up. As a matter of fact, uh, sexual violence, sexual assault, and abuse are some of the topics that might be mentioned tonight during the debate. So if you feel triggered, 
please know that there are resources to help you. And, of course, the resources that they have, Student Counseling Services, Title IX Coordinator, Student Advocacy and Prevention, and the National Sexual Assault Hotline. When have we turned into a nation of wimps? Are, are you kidding me? Uh, this is beyond anything, beyond the realm, beyond the pale. This is, these are your tax dollars at work here. This is your, uh, this is the snowflake generation. This is everything that's wrong with America right here. You've got a bunch of hypersensitive sissies out there who uh, are professional victims. They're professional victims. Anyone that is offended by this, I'm sorry, but you got you got more problems than than uh, you got more problems than attending a, to attending a, a presidential debate. Yeah, my heart, absolutely, am I hard on you? Yeah, grow up, get over it. Oh my goodness! Oh no, no, no! Gonna have to seek counseling for for that. And which also on HagmanReport.com, folks, you know about this the uh, the YouTube Heroes program. A bunch of people now flagging potentially offensive content. Oh, that's right. I wonder how long we're going to last on YouTube. We're already looking for and uh, searching out the alternative sources for our video broadcast. This has got disaster written all over it. The Heroes program. You go to HagmanReport.com and, and read about it. I think JD put it up. Thank you, JD. It's going to change the way things are. The way things are delivered. See, here's the issue. If, if, if you are not liked, or if, if you are, uh, if somebody wants to just, to, just to harass you, this is a perfect way to do it. Because they, they put you in a timeout first, ask questions later, and then they review it. But there are serial harassers out there, folks. You understand this. We're victims of it. Oh, there's that word victim. We experience it. Every day. Every day it's a fight. This is, this is how, this is how they erode your patience. And this is how the enemies of freedom are fighting asymmetrically right now. Tonight's broadcast brought to you by Elite Island Resorts. We found an amazing getaway. Just a tremendous getaway with an amazing price. The Pineapple Beach Club in Antigua. Have you been there? Right now for just under $100. $99 per person per night. You can enjoy an adults only. That's 16 and up. All-inclusive holiday getaway on a white sandy beach. Oh, doesn't that sound good? Go to pineapplebeachclub.com. That's pineapplebeachclub.com. Or go to hagmanandhagman.com and click on the Pineapple Beach Club logo there. Or call 800-772-8711. That's 800-772-8711. There you can uh, check it out. More on that later. The Clinton emails that came out. 189-page summary of interviews conducted 
year-long investigation of Hillary Clinton's private server. It, it did give us some more information, folks. It, the report was made public Friday evening, of course. This is what they do, the Friday document dump. You know that. This uh, report came on the heels of the House Republicans' revelation that three additional witnesses had received immunity agreements from the Justice Department, bringing the total number of witnesses who were shielded from prosecution to five. And looking at this from an investigative vantage point, you have to understand that um, one of the people here involved in this, involved in the uh, getting immunity, was uh, the the individual who was Plot, the employee of Plot River Server. All right. Now, we're going to be getting into this, and I'm, I've got some things to write on this, an investigative report on this, but you have to understand, when you when the FBI grants immunity, there's two types of immunity. One is one is essentially a blanket immunity, and one is a very focused, specific kind of immunity. I think it's called user immunity. Well, it would appear to me that uh, um, the uh, the Paul Cometa from uh, Plot River Servers was granted a limited immunity based on his uh, citing or his invoking the Fifth Amendment of late during a, a recent hearing. And if that's the case, that speaks volumes about this revelation. And people may say, well, you know, we, that's yesterday's news. The email, uh, email thing was, there's nothing to it. Of course, Comey came out and said, there's, no, there's, you know, nothing to it. It was negligence, carelessness. Well, now, hold on a minute here. That final chapter has not been written yet. Comey is slow walking this. Comey, the FBI director, is slow walking this, much to the consternation of the FBI rank and file members. And of course, what we're going to see, and we, and I don't know if you caught this, folks, but uh, it was revealed that Obama, that's right, Barry Satoro, um, he was emailing, receiving, and sending emails under a pseudonym. I think it was Mac Daddy, long-legged Mac Daddy. I'm not sure, but that that was revealed this weekend <clears throat> under a fake name. This is, uh, the, again, the, the final chapter on this has not been, been written, and folks, there's going to be much, and I mean much, uh, evidence of criminality exposed when it, when it is exposed. I, I happened to turn on the TV, uh, last night, I was flipping through some channels, and, um, want to take a, kind of a little bit of time and just kind of veg out, and I happened upon All the President's Men from 1976. I don't know how many people have seen that. And, and it was pretty interesting because there was an exchange at one point at the very, t- toward the end of the movie, within the last 30 minutes of the movie, where Woodward and Bernstein were talking with, uh, Ben Bradley, the, uh, the editor at the Washington Post at the time. And Bradley looked at Woodward and Bernstein and said, you know what? People just don't care. People don't care about Watergate. People don't care. <laughs> And it reminds me of that saying right now. People just don't care whether it's emails, whether it's uh, Benghazi. People don't care. I, I do believe that they do. At least the people that that are within our demographic. And, and I also believe that more and more people 
are waking up to the fact that this is not just a scandal, this is not just a bunch of hollow investigations, this is, in fact, criminal behavior. Um, and one of the revelations from the Clinton FBI files, the report that was released on uh, Friday, is the fact that someone was, was screwing around with the FOIA process, the Freedom of Information Act process. You know that pristine journalistic tool? <laughs> oh, that, that's the answer to everything, right? Folks, look, if I'm a journalist and, and I and I file an FOIA request to a government agency, how it's supposed to work is that government agency is supposed to remit anything within the, within the confines of your, of your request as long as it does not give any personal or, or sensitive information out to you, in a nutshell. My contention and my assertion is, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to work, except when it doesn't work that way, when you have people that are actually withholding information, knowingly withholding information, and it happens all of the time. Well, here it is right now. One witness uh, in, in the case of the Clinton email, Congress and watchdog groups that, that were uh, that involved in the whole process, one witness told the FBI that he believed that there was interference with the formal FOIA review process. Indeed, there is. There's, there's that, uh, that happens all of the time. All right, beautiful. L.A. Marzulli, we're coming to you. Uh, L.A. Marzulli is joining us now, and we're going to be talking about his his book and his work, Days of Chaos, and of course how it how it um, how it affects the current day. Folks, you know L.A. Marzulli. Let's grab him on. L.A., welcome to Hagman and Hagman Report. Hey, great to be here. Great to be hey, here. Hey, man, it's uh, it's it's great to have you, my friend. So, so what do you think? Tonight is the debate. Um, we have a lot lot to talk about. There's been uh, uh, incidents that happened all across the country here uh, last or the weekend before this past weekend. Of course, uh, we saw a shooting in, the, in Washington State. Um, we saw a lot of things happen over in Syria. I mean, where, where do we start? We got the debate tonight. I mean, where do we start? Well, you know, look. First of all, the bottom line is, and I blogged about this today. I was actually in Oklahoma City uh, with sitting next to Bob Ulrich in the car. My wifey was in the back. When all this came down, and the first thing I said is, uh, you know, that they don't know who the shooter is yet. Um, I looked at it on Drudge Report, saw it on Breitbart, but I said, I, I bet you anything, it's uh, it'll be tied and, and linked back to um, uh, radical Islam. Sure enough, the guy's from Turkey. Uh, there are he's got imams on his on his website. Um, look, he's got mental problems. I get that. Uh, and, and we've heard some very disturbing reports of the way he groped females in high school and all this other stuff. And some of the women weren't were afraid to walk down the same stride of the street with this guy. Okay, I get it. The bottom line is, and, and here's what people don't get, Doug, and it just it drives me absolutely up the wall. It's like I posted a video from Geert Wilders on my blog, LAMarsLuli.net. All the American people should be required to watch that. Of course, you'll never. If, if you watch that, you're, a, a, you know, a, a, um, a basket of deplorables. You're just, you're, we're kind of one of them. We're, we're labeled Islamophobes. Listen to it because they're ten years ahead of us. They are. They're ten years ahead of us. Islam is a political ideology. It has no. It, it doesn't want to come here and 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 assimilate. It's not interested in the Constitution. It's interested in Sharia. And, of course, just the fact that I say this makes me an Islamophobe, but that's the bottom line. Therefore, the attacks that we are seeing 
are now commonplace. And the American people are so asleep, not all of them, because people are waking up. That's why the Trump rallies have, have 12,000, 20,000 and, and upwards people coming to the rallies, and Clinton has a few hundred, according to Breitbart. Now, granted, Breitbart is like, you know, I, I get that. But that's... I, other news media outlets are saying that, too. And Hillary's canceling stuff. The bottom line is this, that people, the American people, are waking up. They are so sick and tired of the Washington nonsense. And I mean completely sick and tired of it. There was a clip I showed again uh, on the blog. And it's one of the spokespeople for the Clinton campaign. This guy's such a weasel, he should be required to come out in a weasel suit. And I mean that. I really mean that. I'm, I'm not joking around here. He should be required to come out in a weasel suit because this guy can't answer a question. You know, did did Hillary, the emails, Benghazi, whatever, this guy refuses to answer any of the questions. This is where we are. This is where we are. And the bottom line is most Americans know now that there's an element in the Islamic faith which seeks to basically destroy and, and 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 let me let me back up. On the blog today, I mentioned a uh, an actual happening that happened to me last week. I was on the road from a, con a conference in Saskatchewan, crossing the Canadian American border, headed to Minot, and we're waiting there in, in customs on the American side. And um, here's the deal. Here's the deal. We're waiting in this little waiting room, and in comes a Muslim family. And I sat there, and this is before the shooting. This is on, this is before the shooting, okay? This is on, on Wednesday night. So, give you an idea. And I'm sitting there, but we already had another, another event just a few days earlier, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm saying to myself, what I really love to do is sit down with these people and just ask them straight on questions. Are you an American citizen? You are. Do you believe that the Constitution is better than Sharia? What will, what will you uphold? Will you uphold Sharia or the Constitution? Do you think that Jews are really pigs and apes? Um, is it true in Islam that you are allowed to lie to me because I'm nothing but a kafir? That's all I am, okay? I, I'm, I'm an infidel. Um, do you believe in jihad? Do you believe? I mean, there's there's like endless questions that need to be asked here, and the bottom line for me is, Doug. And look, I'm just echoing what Newt Gingrich said. So I guess there's a whole a whole bunch of us in that basket of deplorables. Thank you, Miss Clinton. The bottom line is this: hundreds of people in this country have already lost their lives to jihad. Five people were blasted away by a shotgun in the Washington Mall over the weekend. The guy is from Turkey, and, and I'm putting my chips down with this guy got radicalized on some level. Got radicalized, made his big statement for Allah. And this is, it ain't going away, Doug. It's not going to go away. And as Newt Gingrich stated, and I'm back on the trail here, Newt Gingrich stated that the agency, the government, needs to sit down case by case and basically ask them, without lying to me, you know, do you favor the Sharia over the Constitution? Because if you do, then you can't you can't be here in this country. If you favor Sharia over the Constitution, then we have one set of laws here, not two. One set of laws that we live by in America, at least the America that I grew up with. Now, if Hillary gets in, that's all going to change, and that's what people really need to get behind. If Hillary gets in, every life as we know it, it's going to be Obama on steroids. And the fact that she's even running 
is to me is absolutely beyond the pale. How can she sit there when she rigged rigged the primaries, when she lied about Benghazi? She's been lying her entire career. She doesn't even know the truth anymore because she lies so much. And the fact that that her husband, with all due respect, Mr. President, has a string of accusers saying that he was that that that, that, that they were raped by the guy. So I mean, if it was one or two people, you'd go, well, okay. It's a string of them. A dozen? Two dozen? I mean, who knows how many people at this point? And we're letting these people back. And, and, and then you've got, you can see I'm just completely on fire here and vexed. Then you've got the whole idea of the Clinton Foundation. I didn't know I did not have sex with that woman. Right? And here we go. And, and millions of dollars in Haiti. Where did the money go? Where did the money go? No, nobody seems to know. What really happened at Benghazi? We're told the wag the dog deal. Oh, yeah, it was a, uh, Obama says, uh, well, you know, radical Islam had nothing to do with it. It was a people with the, and he goes on and on telling us that what it really was, was this ridiculous movie that some guy made, which, which caused the riot. Classic wag the dog. Classic wag the dog. This guy's incarcerated. He did nothing wrong. Now he's like completely lost everything because once the federal government comes after you, you're hosed. This guy has no life. He's living on Skid Row. It's over. There was a report a couple of weeks ago about this guy. The you, you know what, Ellie? Let, let me just jump in here and, and tell you a little bit because I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure if the listeners know this either. But uh, there is a YouTuber by the name of Montagraph. It goes by Montagraph, and uh, he had sent me some research that he had done, and um, uh, and all. And kudos to him. I mean, great job. But uh, his private. Uh, his private yeah, uh, YouTube, his private video, uh, he, he sent me, and uh, I had cited him before in my investigation of that of that video. Well, that traces right back to John Brennan's uh, companies. That video does, folks. It was a CIA operation, or it was a private security at the time operation uh, via the CIA, and now it's a, it, it's really a CIA um, operation. That is the film. Not I, the the film was that and how that was exploited and uh, used as the basis for that Benghazi excuse, not the attack, but the excuse. I just wanted to throw that out there um, and, and give um, give a nod to Monograph and, and of course, uh, you know, yeah, it's it traces right back to the CIA, LA. It does. Which I mean, and and look, you know, you and I both know this, and you know, we're, we're I'm I'm speaking to one of the lead choir members here, right? And I'm right next to you, but. When the Kennedy was shot down in Dallas, that changed everything. That changed everything. We've never had a real president since then, with the exception maybe of Reagan, and they tried killing him too. And then I think after that he played ball. But I'm Mr. Conspiratologist here. I got my tin hat on, and I'm wearing it proudly, Doug. The bottom line is um, this just is not cool, what we see. And this is why Trump has resonated with the American people. Because the American people know that they are not being represented. Do you know that, you know, with all the government taxes, you, you can't save anymore. It's the death of the middle class. And we know that, that Hillary, if she gets in, she's going to raise taxes. Trillions more. We're already $20 trillion in debt or more, depending on who you want to talk to. We, we, we just can't keep doing this anymore. If Trump gets in, we've got a shot at turning the thing around. If Hillary gets in, it is over. Supreme Court justices will be absolutely liberal. Think Justice uh, Sotomayor here, and maybe to even further left than what she is, which is hard to believe. That's it. It's over. Then she'll come after the guns, because that's what Obama's tried to do basically for the last years. So, eight years. So, we are, in my opinion, 
at the end of the line here. And these debates coming up in about an hour and a half. Uh, if, if Trump is presidential and he doesn't become like a bully, if he's, if he's kind of aloof from her, I think he's going to win in a landslide. But you're right. The CIA, the secret dark government, governmental forces which have run this country, and Eisenhower stated it, we've all, we all know the line for those of us who talk about this stuff, the military-industrial complex. Doug, think about the 15 years of endless war that we've had in Afghanistan. What, what's going on here? Remember what Obama said? Going to bring our boys home from Afghanistan. Well, he didn't do that, and he's not going to do that. He never will do that because he's not in control. He's not in control. And the powers that be will not allow him to do that because there's a trillion-dollar opium harvest every single year or higher from the opium that's harvested in Afghanistan. And it's all dark ops money, and they juggle stuff around, and that's where it goes. Amen, brother. And that's it. I mean, the winner of the wars the last 15 years, it's the military-industrial complex. It's it's the warmongers. It's the um, the people in the CIA at the at the upper echelons, yeah. the globalists. Right. And, you know, L.A., I don't know if you caught this, but uh, the proxy war, I've always said that World War III is going to begin in Syria. I mean, that's going to be the tripwire for World, World War III. My, my article is Death Race Damascus and, and uh, other articles related to Syria. Look what's going on right now. I mean, Russia and Syria, or Russia and, and the U.S., the war machines in both countries are having having words now. So World War Three is about the, you know, we're at the precipice of World War Three. But people don't want to hear this. A lot of people don't. Doug, I have I have hammered this down in my in my book Days of Chaos. I have blogged about it incessantly. I have spoken about it on your show and other shows. I have been waving my my arms like you know a, a crazed fanatic because I knew like you that it was coming all the signs were there and what's amazing to me is that some people go oh LA, you know the blood moons man like you know nothing happened I mean are you kidding me a million refugees a million Muslim refugees coming into Europe storming into Europe the gates of Vienna Charles Martel and the Battle of Taurus all for naught a million Muslims and Merkel sitting here going, we need to have more come in. And everybody's kind of going, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. This ain't working out. It's not working out. It never will work out. No, hey, hold, hold, hold on, hold on, L.A. We're up against the bottom of the hour break here. Okay. Just to hold that thought. We're talking with L.A. Marzuli, lamarzuli.net. Folks, go there. Days of Chaos, great, great book. Also, the Watchers DVD series, got to grab that. Uh, great, great in fact, we're going to be talking about that here momentarily. L.A. Marzulli is our guest on this debate Friday for the next uh, 60 minutes. Stay right where you're at. Uh, coming at you on this day of the big match, the big debate, the big televised debate, the Super Bowl of news programs, of course, news shows. This is the debate between uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Diane Rodham Clinton. And of course, uh, the optics had to be fixed for Clinton 
uh, a, a podium or a personal lectern. Her lectern had to be modified to accommodate her small size and stature. Difference between the two. Of course, uh, we're going to be joining the debate live at 9 p.m. Eastern time. And it is Monday, not Friday. I said Friday when I was going out uh, uh, at the bottom of the hour. I don't know what I was thinking there. Our guest right now is L.A. Marzuli, lamarzuli.net. And uh, if you haven't visited that site in a while, certainly visit his blog, which is lamarzuli.wordpress. But uh, lamarzuli.net, there are Days of Chaos. Also, the Watchers DVD series, get all 10 for a reduced price. And, and I, I love this series. It's, a, it's an informative series. It really gets into... Uh, well, it gets into the meat of what L.A. talks about. And it's, um, if you watch the DVDs, I mean, I, I watch them. And I learn more every time I watch one. And, and specifically, the the, the, uh, the Watchers 10 DVD is extremely well done. Uh, they're all well done, but 10 is really filled with a lot of information. Of course, folks, our website, HagmanReport.com, uh, go there for news information analysis. Of course, the latest, the Hofstra University provides trigger warning for presidential debate. That's up there. How ridiculous that is for the snowflake generation. Follow us on Twitter. we got at uh, HagmanReport, Twitter. At Hagman PI, that's my personal Twitter site, and also Facebook, Hagman Report, and I'm on Facebook too, uh, Doug Hagman. F- keep keep posted uh, uh, for any. That's our social networking. There, we we of course put uh, news and breaking news on our social networks, Twitter and Facebook. Getting back to LA, thank you, LA, uh, for holding over. Yeah, man, I'll tell you, this is just crazy stuff going on. So, uh, you were saying before the break. Well, it, it's just. We are we are at a, a period, a crossroads in this country, and uh, the fact that the elites don't want Trump, that the globalists don't want Trump, we are being managed. It's a managed agenda. They are trying to hurt us, uh, hurt the American people. We are the last bastion of real freedom uh, in on the planet, really, when you think about it. And that might be some people. Oh, LA, that's an overstatement. Well, you know, think what you want, but it's true. Uh, we are the last bastion of freedom. And unless we can take back the country, and in my opinion, the only person to do that right now is Trump. Look, the election was always supposed to be between Jeb Bush and Hillary Clinton, the two houses. So at that at that point, at that rate, you would wouldn't matter who you voted for. You're going to get the same old, same old, bring in the same people, uh, and business would just go on as usual. And so that got derailed uh, when Trump entered the race. If you recall, it was a it was a pleasant distraction. People didn't really think he was serious. Well, he's really not going to do this. It's never going to happen. You know, he's bombastic. He's this, he's that, blah, 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 blah. Well, I went out and got Trump's book. And it's amazing how some of the Washington people, including POTUS, our president of the United States, with all due respect to Mr. Obama, President Obama, um, what kind of training did this guy have? What kind of training did Obama have? Did he ever actually make anything? I mean, he was a law professor. Okay, I get that. So you're teaching the law which is basically government. I understand that, but you're not making anything. You're not creating jobs. It doesn't make that. Well, you're not. So Trump, and, and I get it, you know, people, oh, you, you know, thousands of lawsuits, blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, you know, that's, that, think what you want to think. The bottom line, the guy is a businessman, and he's a really good businessman, and I read his book, and he's incredible. He's absolutely incredible. And he has stated something, Doug, that I just love, America first. America first. Americans first. Not illegals, not immigrants, not people coming across the border. Americans first. And I just love that. Bully for McDonald. That's what we need. 
It's time to get back. Oh, L.A., that's just, you know, you're just being xenophobic here. Really? I'm really being xenophobic? Are you kidding me? And this is the problem. Hillary's already already called us. We're we're this basket of deplorables, which is basically, hopefully, fifty five to sixty percent of the nation right now. We're all in that. Millions of people are be, are deplorable, according to Miss Clinton. The bottom line is, the American people are tired of of illegals coming across the border. We are tired of jihad. We are worn weary of the drug culture, which continues to come across the southern border. And for those people who don't think that making a wall is going to solve anything, may I, may I remind you of the of the of one of the first original walls, the Great Wall of China, was built to keep the roving hordes, the Mongols, out of the Chinese government. And it worked. It worked. And that's how walls work. And with the advent of the airplane, they become obsolete. But you know what? We need a wall on the southern border. We do. Yeah, because we do. Every, time, yeah. every conference I go to, Doug, I ask people, how many people in the audience have not, have not had someone in rehab? Usually, let's say there's 1,000 people, I might get 20 hands that will go up. Maybe 50. Maybe 50. The majority of people, the majority of American people have had someone go through rehab. Doug, you and I know, because we're roughly the same age. You go back 50, 55, 60 years, no one knew how to spell rehab. It wasn't right. part of the lexicon. It wasn't there. Now it's like, you know, the drugs permeate everything, everything, and it comes. Yeah, but you know, but the LA, that's a, that's a criminal cabal in our government that's behind that drug, that opium, as you pointed out earlier, the opium uh, uh, silk road that that's coming across yeah. Uh, yeah. through Europe. You know, but it's protected by our government by the criminal cabal within our government. Yeah, and this is when people when people hear this. They they freak, uh, especially if, if someone's listening to your show for the first time. Oh, that's just ridiculous! Oh, our government never do anything like that. Well, you know, it, again, it goes back to Dallas. It goes back yep. to the magic bullet theory. It goes back to Oswald and Oswald being gunned down. And Oswald, look, I've been to the sixth floor uh, book depository window. I've been there, yep. and you can't you can't actually you can't go to where the sniper's nest supposedly was. You can't go there because it's all sealed off. And it's sealed off for a reason because when you when you're over another 20 feet, it becomes even more absurd because the oak tree's right in your way. But I digress. The bottom line is, you stand there and pretend you're holding a rifle, which is what I did, and I and I pretend that I sighted down the barrel to the second X, the headshot. Doug, it's a long way away, and even with a scope, it's a long ways away. Could Oswald have done the shoot? Maybe. But with a man liquor called Connor with a defective, stupid, bolt-action rifle and, and, and pumping off three shots and the final shots, the headshot. Look, I was at the grassy knoll. I spent, yep. I spent a lot of, not a lot of time, but I've spent hours there. I've been there two times. And both of the times, I spent hours there, basically one whole day. Next day, about three or four hours. It took my wife. When you stand behind the grassy knoll, and this is what most people don't get, you are less than 60 feet from the fatal headshot and remember the limousine came to almost a complete stop at that point it was literally a turkey shoot our country changed that day and it's never been the same since in my opinion i agree yeah i I was at the uh, i was at the uh, depository i was on the grassy knoll i I surveyed that whole area i talked to people there who had set up uh, one gentleman who had set up a a vendor kind of booth there to uh with all sorts of uh uh, alternative explanations outside of the Warren Commission reports, you know. It, yeah, it's but, but you know, LA, it, it's something where um, it, it's even bigger than this. I mean, to get 
America, the entirety of America, or the majority of America, to believe it happened the way the Warren Commission said it happened. What is wrong with people? I mean, seriously, what is wrong with people that, that they cannot see or they can't fathom this the existence of conspiracies? That, that, look, I'm an investigator. I investigate conspiracies, but it's what I do. I mean, more than one per, you know, two people are more involved in the in the in the, the planning of a criminal activity. By definition, that's a conspiracy. That's, a conspiracy. Yeah. that's it. That's it. That's it. But what's wrong? There's a, well, what's up? There's, yeah, yeah. Look, there's a psychological term. It's called cognitive dissonance, and I, I see this a lot when you talk to someone about UFOs or the Nephilim, even Christians or Genesis six. You get the deer in the headlights look. And the reason for that, most people have nothing in in their computer banks. What I mean by that, they haven't looked at the subject. So there's nothing there. So there's nothing to relate to. And they just kind of go blank. And they immediately go to, well, that can't happen because I don't have anything in my in my database base here that even addresses something like this. So when you go to someone, you go, hey, are you aware that fallen angels may have uh, had sex with women of earth and created a hybrid being known as a Nephilim? And this is in a church setting. You get, what are you What are you smoking, Marzulli? But it's there. Same thing with the Kennedy assassination. Especially in my father's generation. I'm 65. So my dad passed away two years ago this last August. He was 94, World War II vet. They believed in the government. They believed in it. That's what they fought for. They believed in America. They believed in the government. And that government, as corrupt as it may have been, was nothing like what happened and what is where we are now after the Kennedy assassination. Because that was a coup d'etat. There's no doubt about it. Because Kennedy, in my opinion, Kennedy was going to abolish the... Uh, the, the CIA, break it into a thousand pieces, that, that's stated on the record. He was going to dismantle and move away from the Federal Reserve. That's strike two. Strike three, bring our boys home from Vietnam. That was it. And all those things, you, you can't do that because the Federal Reserve holds us by, by the throat, by the financial throat, as it were. And the CIA is what, you know, the whole deal with the Bay of Pigs and everything else and all the, all the wars. That scene in, in, in JFK, uh, Oliver Stone's movie JFK, where the, where the character, the deep throat character, the ex-general, ex-military guy sitting on the bench, and he gives this soliloquy. And it's just, you know, and then with the dates, and we went, went to here, and then we went there, and then we did this, and we financed that. And, he, you know, it's Cambodia and Laos, and it's just all over the place. And it's like, that's, yep. that's what we do. That's what we that's do. Right. And the American people don't know about it. Look, getting back to Syria. Yes. People expected from the four blood moons that this planet was gonna, the planet was going to split in half. Well, it didn't. But two unprecedented events did happen. We already talked about the first. Millions of Muslims coming into Europe. It's over. It's over. It's, it's a clash of civilizations. The second one, which most people don't realize, is the Russians came down into the Middle East with a huge military force. And I'm not just talking a couple of tanks. I mean, a huge huge military force. That's what they came down with. And what we see in Aleppo right now is is basically the, they got the Russians' fingerprints all over this thing. And Aleppo is, it looks like it's been firebombed, like, like the Dresden firebombing in World War II. And Damascus, and I've, I've blogged about this, I've shown it, I show it at conferences, 
I think you saw it the last time we were uh, at yep. the you know Dallas uh, hear the Watchmen conference, and the area around Damascus has become a ruinous heap. D- Damascus is still standing, but what to what percentage I don't know. And you, it's really hard to get information out of it. But we know we know that the the area around Damascus has become a ruinous heap. This is World War Three. This is World War Three. And if we see a nuke go off in that area, Doug, then I think that's going to trigger supernatural events, which I've also written about for for decades, literally decades. That's you have, and you've been at the tip of the spear on this, all of this, uh, from your Watchers series DVDs, which are excellent. I mean, they are well done, Thanks. folks. Uh, LAMarzuli.net for the Watchers series, and also Days of Chaos. The Days of Chaos is really right on the money. Um, I don't want to say predictive, but certainly you laid out uh, the geopolitics of everything that we're seeing today. So great job on that. But I appreciate right. it. Thank you so much. You know, yeah, and in, in LA, I mean, I, I like, I really appreciate the the way you come at everything from a biblical perspective, and and back up the current events, prophetic events, using the biblical or using scripture as well. So, and I think that's what's lacking in a lot of people, even with the Trump. Just touching on the debates again, and folks, we're, we're going to be joining the debates at at nine o'clock, simulcasting the debates, but um, the the. People in America, I believe, are looking for one person to solve all of the problems. But people have to understand, I think, that even with Donald Trump or even uh, a, a perfect American, we cannot solve the problems of this country, in my view, because the the, the bankruptcy, spiritual, intellectual bankruptcy, is so severe and so deep. That's my opinion right now. I mean, uh, we've dumbed down generations, two, three generations of, of, of people. Through this common core, this this utter crap that's being taught in schools. That's right. Uh, you know, right. so and and the geopolitics now have gotten so out of hand, and you've got this lawlessness across the country. And and again, you point this out in your book, Days of Chaos, folks. Go to lamarzilli.net and grab a hold of his book if you don't have it already. And of course, the Watchers series. But but are, well, let me just ask you. Um, let's just assume for a moment here. I presume that that tonight's debates are going to let's let's just say that they're not going to change anything okay we'll just say that they go off and you know they don't change a thing what do you think will happen i mean give me your best guess here do you think that that trump will i'm kind of going all over the place but i'm going kind of i'm getting uh, to to a a purpose uh or getting to uh, to an end here uh eventually do you think that Trump will win, I mean, will prevail, and do you think that he will become president? Do you think that the elections could be disrupted? Because I've been getting so many emails saying, oh, you know, things are going to happen, perhaps, that, well, that that may disrupt our electoral process. What do you think? Well, everything is possible. Uh, It's a question of what is probable. And I don't have a crystal ball. I mean, I've heard everything that's come across my desk from they're going to have an EMP, uh, yep. which will be a, a staged phony deal, uh, you know, a black ops thing, a false flag thing, and they'll blame it on somebody. World War III could erupt. Um, what happens if Hillary is really unfit to run? Many people think that she is. There, there are some, she's got some serious medical issues from what I can see. If she falters tonight, if she can't make it through 90 minutes, that's, then she's toast. Then the Democrats have to figure out what they're going to do. Um, 
and that's extremely interesting. We're into an area that we've the history's had it a couple of times, but would they would they postpone the elections? Would they um, then run the Jesuit vice president? I mean, who knows, right? Who knows? That's Kane, right. Are they going to roll him up? Are they going to roll Joe Biden out? I think if if Hillary falters tonight, then she really is toast. Um, I'm sure that she'll have some kind of drug cocktail. Look at her eyes if they show her close up. Um, but you know, 90 minutes. Uh, it's a long time. It's a it sure long time. And, and I've done that. You've done that too. I mean, you do it every yep. day on your show. You know what 90 minutes is. Uh, but it's different when you're in front of a large crowd standing on your two feet and you're yakking. I, you know, I do our presentations all day long. There are some times when I just got done doing one up in Saskatchewan where I'll go for two hours standing the whole time and, and I go with, with my PowerPoints and, and off we go. This is different. This is different because she has no idea, or she, actually she probably has a really good idea what, what the questions are. Knowing the way the game is rigged, um, she's probably got the questions ahead of time somehow because that's how things work here. So, yeah, But I she's agree. still got to field them. She still has to field them. And there could be wild cards in there. And it would be very interesting to see her think on her feet uh, as well as Trump. Trump's got the same thing. If Trump appears presidential... If he doesn't stoop to um, calling names like he did with Little Marco, but that's what we remember, isn't it? Little Marco, you know, right. low energy Jeb, Lion Ted, and you know everybody was true. Everything he said about those people, low energy Jeb. I mean, can you imagine Jeb as president? I mean, just go shoot me now. And I used to joke, you know, vote for Jeb in my George Bush imitation. I mean, I was saying that like three years ago, knowing that they were going to trot out Jeb Bush. Sure enough. Out he comes. And then we got, you know, uh, Bush Sr., I'm with her. She's supporting Hillary. I mean, these people should be keelhauled. Just joking, just joking. For those of you who are listening <laughs> with the alphabet soup, okay? Just That's joking. Right. Tongue-in-cheek here. Tongue-in-cheek. Look, I, I have a great respect to the guy. But, you know, Bush was also CIA. And yep. he doesn't remember, according to the stuff that I've read, where he was when Kennedy is shot. Everybody in America knows exactly where they were when JFK was gone down in Dallas. But, you know, Bush 41, eh, well, I'm not so sure. So, you know, I, I don't know what to think of that. I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I'm not accusing him of anything. I have no idea what happened. But I just find it really odd that these guys would flip and, and, and say something like, I'm with her? I'm with yeah, her? Really? really? I mean, that's just wacky. That's wacky. Yeah, it, it is. It, uh, it's difficult for me to believe. But then when you look at the situation, you've got the globalists sticking together. You've got the Bush family. You've got the Clinton family. And you've got the Bushes and Obama, too. Uh, the, the information is coming out how close uh, George W. and uh, Michelle Obama are. Um, it's, it's, it's really interesting because the, the the political parties are no longer. It's one uniparty. It's it's really the globalists versus the nationalists. If you want to really have parties or designate parties there, uh, this is breaking news. La, uh, the, at least six states now going toward uh, dropping uh, or no, I'm sorry, six states have um, uh, basically. Let's see here, six states are going to Clinton. In six swing states out of the 57 states named by Obama. Yeah, that's right, Saudi Arabia, Iran, going to, uh, uh, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm just kidding around, but, but, little humor or lack, uh, I guess that didn't land too well. <laughs> but, but you know what, uh, so we're seeing things here really 
the globalists versus the nationalists, as you mentioned earlier, we're seeing all of this taking place, L.A., right before our very eyes. Did you, you know, did you think that you would see, live to see this, what we're seeing right now? Did you, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, did you think that you'd be seeing what you're seeing right now? No, I think the events of 9-11 changed everything. And I, and I truly believe, you know, people go, oh, LA, you know, 9-11, here we go with the tinfoil hat, conspiracy nonsense. Well, look, folks, just look at Building 7. You watch, and again, this is cognitive dissonance, Doug, because people look at Building 7 and they go, well, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, the Duke University did a, a study on it. And they said that it was the first steel building ever to collapse from a fire in modern history. Well, isn't that convenient? I mean, isn't that convenient? Are you That's kidding right. me? Are you kidding me? Buildings don't collapse like that. That's controlled demolition. These buildings were brought down by a weapon, which we don't know. We really don't. Some sort of scalar technology, perhaps, that, that you know, there's a woman, I forget her name. Um, it'll come to me in a minute, maybe. Uh, yeah, Dr. Judy Wood. Thank you, Lord. That's right. Dr. Judy Wood. And she calls it dustification. When you look at entire chunks of the building evaporating in front of you, I mean, it makes, just makes no sense. Firemen trapped on the whatever it was, the 23rd or the 32nd floor. They hear the building come down, but all of a sudden it's daylight overhead. Well, what, where's the building? The fact that the rubble pile should have been a lot bigger than what it was. The fact that, that something was burning in the basements of the World Trade Towers uh, a month later. It was still hot, still hot, still smoldering, white hot. You know, is that nanothermite? I mean, you know, you be the judge. The bottom line is Building 7 was not hit by a plane. It had normal fires. Fires don't can't melt steel like that. The whole thing comes down at free fall speed, which is why, and here's the punchline, folks, for you who don't know, over 1,500 architects and engineers, and by the way, these are the people that go to school to learn how to build all these buildings, they have said, they have said, and coalesced together, that this is a physical impossibility. That, and this is why they've coalesced together, 9-11 truth. They want a, a separate congressional um, committee to be formed to investigate the events of 9-11. It'll never happen. Never happen. It's just like the, the House investigation of the JFK murder. They figured, well, in all probability, there was probably a conspiracy. Did anybody do anything about that? Not a thing. Not a thing. They just, you know, they had their big, big deal. They had all these people, the acoustic evidence, this and that, and the other thing. No one did anything. No one went looking for the killers. No one tried to do anything. That was it. It was a dog and pony show. Dog and pony show. And that's where we are, Doug. Everything, it's a, as Chuck Musser would say, it's a managed agenda. And the fact that George Soros is involved should let people know exactly what's happening. The elites, the elites, they want a two-class system. The elites that are in power and the rest of poor underneath. Equally poor. Everyone else is equal below them, but equally poor. You want to see what they That's want? Right. Go to Peru. Go to Bolivia. Go to any third world country. That's what they want. And the fact Obama has almost eradicated the middle class. There were over 92 million people unemployed. And, and I think our unemployment rate is closer to 30%. They just fudged the figures. There are, what, million, 60 million, 70 million people on food stamps. The racial tension has gotten worse under our first black president than ever before that I can remember, except maybe for the Martin Luther King era. That's it. I've never seen it this, this charged, this volatile before. Everything has gotten worse. You know, Doug, everywhere I go, I ask people, are we better off now than, we, than what we were, let's say, 15 years ago? Not a hand goes up. Not a hand goes up. 
Not no. a hand. Not one wherever I go. Because everybody knows they can feel it instinctively, viscerally. They know that something has changed. And they can't put Humpty Dumpty back together. And so people look at the Donald and they go, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the way that we get a modicum of change. Maybe it's like our last hope. Because I got to tell you, man, uh, you know, Clinton's already talking 65% death tax. I mean, you can't, you oh, yeah. cannot make, you can't save any money anymore. You can't, you can't do it because any profit, look, I'm an entrepreneur. I have a publishing company, okay, Spiral of Life. And it's so funny how people always want everything for free. So I was going to do this, yeah, this spoof video where I go out to my book tree in the backyard and I have a little watering can and I water it and go, well, it's almost done. You know, here's my, my tenth book, Nephilim Hybrid. See, folks, it's growing right on the tree. You know, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? But by the time everything is done, I basically make a living. I'm not complaining, but my profit goes right to the IRS. Right. My profit goes to the IRS and then the state tax. So between the state and the feds, I pay upwards of 35 to 40 percent. What's left for me? Not much. Not much. It's onerous. Yeah, after you, after you get done paying your bills, LA. I mean, yeah, we it. face the same thing here. The, the, the tax is oppressive. And I'll tell you something. You're right on that taxation by Clinton. But, you know, it's Congress that passes these laws. And we are seeing the same thing happen in Congress as we are in the executive branch. The Congress, of course, is saying, well, no. Um, you know, it's it's the globalist party of the globalists the same way in Congress as it is, as it is in the executive branch. Folks, we're so so blessed to have L.A. Marzulli on, lamarzulli.net. That's lamarzulli.net, linked off of hagmanreport.com. Stay with us as we glide through the remainder, as we glide through the uh, debates or up to the debates with L.A. Marzulli from lamarzulli.net. Watchers series, Days of Chaos. Boy. How great is this? We're going to be right back. Stay right where you're at. Marzulli is on with us, lamarzulli.net. That's lamarzulli.net. It's linked off of hagmanreport.com. And, of course, show information. Or the, No, if you want to watch the show, hagmanandhagman.com. Show information, show prep material, news information analysis, hagmanreport.com. Two websites. Also, social networking at hagmanreport and also at hagmanpi, Twitter. Facebook, Hagman Report, and also Doug Hagman, if you so choose. Let me ask you, folks, do you want to get away for the holidays? Are, are you sick of the debates? Or are you sick of the headlines? Are you sick of just life? You can leave the chaos behind, relax in the Caribbean. We found this amazing getaway at an even more amazing price, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Pineapple Beach Club in Antigua right now for just $99. Per person per night, you can enjoy an adults only that's 16 and above, all inclusive holiday getaway on a white sandy beach. Go to pineapplebeachclub.com. That's pineapplebeachclub.com or call 800 
877-262-8711 to make your reservation today. Let me just tell you a little bit more about the resort in the island. Again, all-inclusive meals, snacks, beverages, yes, even the alcohol. So if you want to have a glass of wine with dinner as you look out over the beautiful, pristine Caribbean, the resort activities and all taxes and service charges are included. That's right. On site, they've got five restaurants, the Tranquility Spa, two freshwater pools, windsurfing, snorkeling. Yeah, you won't get bored. Kayaking, sailing, and so much more. If you're planning a destination wedding, this is what my son, the stepson did. He planned a destination wedding. Destination, Antigua. That's right. You can, they can do that too. The resort encompasses 30 acres of tropical, luscious tropical goodness, wild blooms, tropical foliage. 30 minutes from the airport in the capital city of St. John's. It's, it's just fantastic. And Antigua itself has got 365 beaches, one beach for every day of the year. It is located in the Caribbean, folks. Now, if you're ready to leave the cast behind this year and get some well-deserved R&R, don't wait. This offer does expire soon. Go to pineapplebeachclub.com or call 800-772-8711. That's pineapplebeachclub.com. Pineapplebeachclub.com to book your all-inclusive holiday. Again, for less than $100 per night per person, ages 16 and up. You can enjoy everything I just mentioned and much more. That's pineapplebeachclub.com. You don't want to miss out on this offer. You've got to see the website for complete details. That's pineapplebeachclub.com. Speaking of websites, lamarzuli.net is LA's website. Visit there. LA, thanks so much for all you've been doing. Days of Chaos, Watchers, the Watchers series. Where are we, where are you at in that? Uh, uh, I know you had some updates. You were mentioning those to me earlier. Do you want to talk about that at this point? Well, we're, we're thinking about, you know, maybe doing another, uh, Watchers. That would be Me or... LA, I think you're. Uh, I think you're down, brother. You got some. You got some really wicked interference there. I don't know. Isn't that something? Okay, LA, uh, we're gonna have to reconnect. Um, we we do have some technical issues here. We're gonna have to reconnect. Of course, on this debate Monday, Clinton v. Trump on the debate stage. And, you know, remember the Nixon-Kennedy debates? Remember those? No? A little too young for that? Well, uh, first televised debate in American political history, of course, Kennedy v. Nixon, or Nixon v. Kennedy. Substance-wise, Nixon prevailed, or so it's said, uh, via analysis. But Kennedy looked a lot better. He had more appeal to the masses. And it was all about optics. Now tonight, you've got Hillary using a special lectern. Not a podium, but a lectern. See, there's a difference. The lectern is what they stand up to. It's got the microphone. A podium is something you stand on. A little little, uh, lesson in uh, uh, terminology, I suppose. But what do you think? Folks, what do you think is going to happen here? What are the optics going to be? What is the press going to say tomorrow? What do you think Hillary Clinton is going to is going to appear? You know, in, in in the final analysis, does it matter at this point? Does it really matter? What's the bigger picture here? You've got the globalist agenda versus the nationalist. In the globalist agenda, you've got the democratic national socialists. You've got the socialist, Marxist, Leninist. You've got the communists. And you're going to give me a thumbs up when the uh, when LA's back on, right? Okay, all right. We are trying to reconnect to LA Marzulli. Um, but but you got on the one side, you got you got that.
globalist agenda who want to subjugate the entirety of the planet to a, a globalist or a Marxist-Leninist agenda. And, and that's I laugh at, at times. When you look at the forums, the political forums, you look at the, the postings by people on the political forums, you just have to wonder, do these people who post to forums such as, well, Democratic Underground, or the right for the, the Huffington Post, or, or the leftist, leftist center political forums and websites, do they believe, do they, can they see, do they understand that they are themselves pawns in the globalist agenda? Yeah, I don't know. Now, of course, you've got this entire victim mentality. You know, at Hofstra University, where where the debates are being held, of course, I mentioned earlier. All right, that Hofstra, cool. Oh, all right. Yeah, but folks, just go to HagmanReport.com and check out the uh, Hofstra University sign of victimology or victim. Uh, everyone's a victim. Yes. Well, we have L.A. back. L.A., thanks, man. I don't know what happened hey. there. You just uh, went sideways. Um, uh, there's there's two guys working on the phone lines outside, but, you know, I, this is all Internet, so I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on. Very Interesting. weird. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. You were. T- I asked you about the Watcher DVD series. Now uh, you're out with Watchers Ten, and of course, all nine or all ten Watchers DVDs for ninety nine bucks. It's pretty good. Uh, it's a great deal. Great deal. Great yeah, deal. man. It, while they last, right? Because you, you can't. They last? <laughs> you, you, you can't go out there and uh, pick them off your DVD and book tree. So, uh, although that's what people <laughs> want you to do. <laughs> but oh, well, well, so where are you at with uh, what, what's what's new? Uh, in that regard, well, we you know we we are thinking about doing number eleven, but we're not we're not positive that um, you know we're just look there's a, there's a lot of it, a lot of work that goes into a watchers. It takes us six to eight months to produce a film. Uh, Richard Shaw, the director, spends a lot of time in in, in post production. Um, it, it can take a month of eight hour, ten hour, twelve hour days of editing. And I, look, I, I edit our TV show. Um, on, a, on a weekly basis, I do a 28 and a half minute show every single week, and that's uh, called PPSReport.com. You can go to my YouTube channel, LA Marzuli, and check it out there. We've got 21 uh, half hour programs that are now on YouTube. Some of these things have, we're getting like 50, 60 thousand. One of them, in particular, about the ferry, was like 600 thousand hits on the thing. And by the way, folks, I, I just want to mention that um, our ongoing. Uh, investigative work with the creature, the fairy, the winged nightmare, the thing that I uh, discussed specifically at the Prophecy Watchers Conference and also on PPS Report, and I'll get a little drum roll here, has turned out to be a hoax. And we discovered it was a hoax when we were able to bring the creature into the States and do extensive testing on it. We met with two veterinarians. Um, There were the two vet techs there, too, in the room. There were... uh, uh, x-rays that we took of this thing everyone, doctors who had seen the x-rays, other veterinarians who had seen the x-rays, nurses, everyone thought this thing was real everyone, everyone now there was, people were skeptical, I get that but look, on, based on the x-rays everyone thought it was real and they were freaked out because if, if it was real then you know, what's going on here, right so and look, I just want to tell you something, you know, we're going to we're going to release a film here pretty soon about the entire process. We're waiting for Jaime Masson, who's going to record something tomorrow and get it to us, and then we'll have a probably a 45, 50, 60-minute Watcher special, which we'll put up for free so people can see it for themselves. 
When I was at Prophecy Watchers Conference in Colorado, and I also stated this verbatim in the book Nephilim Hybrids, more testing needs to be done. And we went with it because we thought it was real. We went to a vet. We showed the vet the x-rays. The vet looked at it. He explained what the birdshot was. And, you know, I was on your show a few months ago when it came out. And you guys know that I was like, I believed it was real and stated such. Well, when we got the ferry here, we arranged to have another uh, two veterinarians look at this thing. We brought it to the vet. We did new x-rays. And right from the get-go, the, the vet was looking at this thing going, you know, something's wrong here. But we, we kind of just let that go go because there was bird shot in the pelvis, a lot of it. And the doctor said, well, maybe that shattered the pelvis, and that's why the, the femurs are in the wrong place. But the fe he picked right up on that. The femurs were in the wrong place. The femur is the, the upper thigh bone where it connects to the pelvic girdle or the pelvis. So we knew something was wrong, but we dismissed it. Well, maybe the bird shot blew the pelvis away. So we're looking at this thing. We're doing, we actually found the bird shot, extracted that. We're going to test that. We took hair samples cut it up into three different places. It's going to go out for DNA testing. Uh, the doctor extracted the heart and lungs. That went into another vial, DNA testing. I mean, we're, we're, we're doing this thing. We've got interviews. We've got photos. We've got the whole thing. It, it's been out of the solution for about two hours, hour and a half, two hours, and it starts to dry out. And as it begins to dry out, Richard's over there looking at, looking at a microscope, I'm next to Dr. Berry. We're, we're standing at an at a examination table. Below us on the table is the creature in a tray. And I'm looking at the creature. And remember, right up to this point, everyone in the room thinks it's real. Everybody thinks it's real. And there were these, like, little blue pieces that we saw on the creature. But we all figured that was the oxidation of the bird shot. Not so fast, citizen. So, and that was in the beginning when we first took the creature out of the solution and laid it down. We all noticed the blue, the bluish green stuff, but we thought that was calcification of the bird shot. That, that made sense. So now it's an hour and a half later. We're looking down at this thing. And I, I, underneath the creature is like something that just doesn't look right. And I reach down and I pick it up and I go, well, what's this? And Dr. Berry, the veterinarian, goes, that looks like wood, and that looks like epoxy or some kind of glue on the end of it. We rush back to the x-rays, and there, for the first time, we can plainly see where the wood is. It's dark on the x-rays. It's not bone. It's dark. It's just a dark black object. So it's not bone. So we know that that's not, you know, something's up here. We also see the globs on both ends of the thing. We go back to the creature. We look at the other arm. Sure enough, there it is. Piece of wood, two globs of epoxy or some kind of glue. That was it. And we're sitting there, crestfallen, dumbfounded that we're dealing with this. But I call Prophecy Watchers immediately. I, I, I called Derek Gilbert at Skywatch because we had done shows with them and told them what this is what's going on. And then Wednesday, this happened on a Saturday. Wednesday we went up to Santa Barbara History Museum, Natural History Museum, and we spoke with a gentleman up there who was a zoologist. We took the creature up there. He showed us. We pulled it apart. Um, he showed us 
where the skull was, how they had glued the skin to the skull, how they put um, some kind of epoxy to build up the skull. I mean, we just went through it. There was like an armature, a piece of plastic from the skull to the pelvic girdle. All this, once we knew it was a hoax, we could go back into the x-ray and see it. But it fooled... This was a well-done forgery then, right? I mean, it was was done... Done by a master, and I mean that. A master taxidermist. Or someone who had, who knew the art of taxidermy. Because this guy, I mean, look, first of all, the pieces for the most part were pieces from a bat. And they were all rearranged. And the tail with the stinger was a bat's tail, but they had glued the, the, a squirrel claw on the end of it, or what they think is a squirrel claw. And that made it look like a stinger. It fooled everybody. It fooled doctors at the prophecy watchers. It fooled three veterinarians. It threw a, a myriad of nurses who look at the x-rays. It fooled everybody until we got the creature. Once we got the creature, we were go, we were the whole the whole point of meeting with the veterinarian was to get the bird shot out and get samples for DNA testing, and that's what we were doing. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. more testing needs to be done. The moment we found out, we created a video, we put it up. Jaime wants to get in on it. We couldn't get a hold of Jaime. We've taken it down out of respect for Jaime because Jaime's an incredible researcher. I mean, par excellence, in my opinion. He's been doing this for years. And, you know, there are people, in my opinion, that are out to get Jaime. And that's why this this, this hoax thing, it, it's to make him look like a fool. Well, Jaime's not a fool. I'm a fool. Richard Shaw's a fool. The three veterinarians who examine the creature, they're fools, too. The nurses who look at the x-rays, they're fools. The medical doctors and prophecy watchers and others, that since I've been on the trail, who examine the x-rays, they're fools, too. The bottom line is Doug, <laughs> that this, this hoax, yeah, this hoax was created so well that it fooled everybody, everybody across the board. So, you know, I know what the naysayers are going to say, and, you know, out of all the people that have emailed us, because we, we went... We, we announced it to everybody. The creature's a hoax. We got nothing but positive feedback. Nothing but positive feedback that's right, that's right. and support from everybody. And I just want to take a minute and thank all of those who wrote in on my email, thanking us for our transparency, our honesty, our, our coming you know, right on and just telling people, okay, we were wrong, but more testing needed to be done. Here's the more testing. Uh, I'm writing a, a, a piece which will be published in Prophecy Watchers magazine. It will also be in my news magazine. And once Jaime comes on the record, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get the thing up and running and we'll blast that out to everybody. It will be up on my YouTube channel. People can watch it for themselves. Only one person, one person with an axe to grind, who, in my opinion, is a bitter, angry man. And if he's, if he ever listens to this, you know who you are, pal. And you're a bitter, angry man. And that will consume you, sir, with all due respect. Yeah, I'm it sorry I sent that email to you, L.A. <laughs> I'm so no. You know, you. You're you're right. I mean, you've got one naysayer among among all of the people, uh, very supportive people. And you know, when you looked at that specimen, very well done specimen, very well done hoax. Why? Do you know? Do you have any line on who insinuated this into this into your research uh, and and why? I mean, uh, why the why? Apparently, it was is a pretty apparent. But but the well, who? Gary Stearman and I talked about this. I mean, whoever did this did it deliberately. And, and why did they make this creature that looked like it came out of the bottomless pit? Because it did look like that. I mean, it did look like something. It, it did tie into Revelation 9. It did have some particulars which, in my opinion, lined up with Revelation 9. Okay, I get that. It wasn't exact, 
But, you know, that's, that's, we, we were very perplexed with it. I think that there are people out there, and I'll, I'll tell you something, Doug. A number of years ago, there were some emails that went viral. And what those emails showed were all these bogus giant bones being dug up. Big, huge skulls and big giants, you know, like 20, 30 feet tall and all this other stuff. Well, you know what that does? It poisons the well for real it research. Does. Because when I went out to Catalina, I found a real nine-footer, and it's on, it's in the photograph. It's in the photograph. And that photograph went viral. And I was also on the History Channels in Church of the Lost Giants on their finale and presented the evidence on the record. Of course, they, you know, twisted it into the Darwinian paradigm. That's, it's their nickel. They can do whatever they want. But I, I, I set the record straight, and we set the record straight in Watchers, in Watchers 10, where we show the deliberate obfuscation of the Catalina Island Museum because they cropped the giant out of the picture. Now that picture, which was hidden away in the archives, is front and center of the Glidden, Ralph Glidden, uh, ex exhibit. Ralph Glidden was the archaeologist who uncovered the thing. I had three different people, and I've talked about this on your show before, examine the photograph based on Ralph Glidden's height of five foot eight inches. That skeleton in front of him is just under nine feet. That's not supposed to be there, Doug, and we know it. It's right. not supposed to be there. And so it's, it's a managed agenda. It's called damage control, and that's what all this is about. Interesting. It, it, it's the the well is being deliberately contaminated, poisoned by by people, and the people who want to obfuscate the truth and don't want people like yourself to get to the truth. And it's a, it's amazing. Many people in L.A. you know, like that that man you were talking about, that one individual that that took you to task. It, it uh, a lot of the the fire the. Um, what we're seeing, what we're experiencing, is coming from our own inner circle, our own circle within the Christian world, I, I, I suppose. Um, and, and it's out of this bitterness and jealousy and envy and, and scorn and, and just this nastiness that, that, that is out there, I believe, that, that we're, we're seeing this. And I don't know what to make of it, uh, L.A., I really don't. But, yes, you've got this deliberate contamination. It'd be like a crime scene being contaminated um, for the sake of of discrediting you as a researcher or me as an investigator. We see this happen all the time and more and more. And I think it's, it's getting more aggressive out there, um, on a number of levels. But, but, I, but, but regardless, the, the truth will prevail. And I, and you've brought a lot of truth to the table, a lot of amazing discoveries to the table. And uh, thank, thank you. you. And, you know, folks, uh, Watchers series, what a fantastic series. If you want to get the truth, I mean, it, the understanding of, of, the relevance of Genesis six to today and in the near future through biblical prophecy and and scripture. It's what the Watcher series, which by the way is on sale. Go to lamarzuli.net and you get all ten for under a hundred bucks. Nice Christmas present. It's coming pretty quickly. <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, wow. So so the the so called fairy in the jar debunked you debunked by you i mean you found the truth on that exactly a, it was it was debunked by yours truly i'm yeah. the guy that picked up the the, the the toothpick or the matchstick with the glue and said what the heck is this and that Man. was it it was over yeah that's something all right um and of course you know we have to be very careful all of the time with the the findings the information and, and you're very good at uh, uh really ferreting out and vetting the the true essence of, of, of the finds. Have, where, where are your sites focused now? 
LA. I mean, what uh, you said you're going to maybe do watches eleven, but what does that mean? Does that mean you're you're going somewhere doing something specifically with the you know? I mean, obviously, it well, does, we but. are, we are. I mean, we we all think that many of us. What I say, we all um, look. The UFO phenomenon is ongoing. As I say, and I say that, you know, it's sort of a joke around the house, but it's real, it's burgeoning, it's not going away. Uh, the fact that John Podesta came on the record after he left the Obama administration, and out of all the things that Podesta says, he states, well, he wish he would have done more uh, to uh, tell the American people about the reality of UFOs. What? What that? This is a high-level cabinet maker, a cabinet maker, cabinet member uh, on the, on the uh, Obama administration, coming on the record telling us that UFOs are real. And it's very, very deliberate. It's orchestrated. It's called soft disclosure. This guy's not up there. He was he was probably told, yeah, go out and see what happens. No one cares, Doug. Nobody bats an eyelash. Nobody cares. And the only time it's going to change is when a mile-wide craft shows up or a bunch of craft just shows up and just sits there. And a mile-wide craft would do it, like like we see in the TV shows and all this other stuff. But the day it happens, and I believe, you know, it, it's not if, it's just when, and it's probably going to happen at some point, because they have to do it. They have to reveal. This is the coming great deception. And, you know, what? if we do a Watchers 11, I think it's going to be centered on that. I'm not sure. In the meantime, I've discussed some of this in ppsreport.com. Uh, my, my focus right now is on our half-hour TV show. Uh, and I really try to pump these out with, um, you know, a degree of regularity. My schedule is such that from here to the end of the year, basically almost to a week Thanksgiving, I am on the road constantly. Um, there's not a weekend that I stay home between now and Thanksgiving or the week, two weeks, a week before Thanksgiving. I'm on the road every single weekend, either at a conference or doing research. So it's... Um, it gets warrior after a while, but, you know, we're living in times that are very tenuous and unprecedented. And I think as a watchman, uh, the Lord has raised me up to do what I'm doing, and I, I, I take that very seriously. Uh, we cover your prayers. Again, we have, we have nothing but accolades from people. It's just, it's, it's humbling. And I, you know, people say, oh, you're just, I'm not joking here. It's humbling to get the kind of emails that we get from people, the letters that we get from people. We know we're making a difference in the kingdom, and that's what we focus on. Because it's all about the return of the king. It's all about right. when the king returns. It's all about that we are in a cosmic regime change and that we're moving and heading towards a climactic point in history known as the Great Tribulation. And out of that tribulation, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive. The king, the rightful king, you know, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, is going to return with, with an army all on white horses. And folks, that's literal. It's not figurative. It's not metaphor. It's literal. The armies of heaven descend. That means they're flying white horses, okay? They fly down and they land on the plains of Megiddo. And with the breath of his coming, the king, Jesus, destroys, finally, destroys the work of the god of this world, the fallen one, Satan. And he's cast into the, into the lake or into the abyss for a thousand years. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's where it's all headed. Most people don't realize that, but that's where we're going. That's, that's what all this is really about. Everything that you do, everything that I do, points back to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus the Messiah. That's what it's all about. And if you think you know him, but you don't know him, then you don't know him. It's just as simple as that. Yogi Berra could have made that up, but I did. If you think you know him, but you don't know him, then you don't know him. You know, people think they oh, know God. who Jesus is. 
They think they know who he is, but they really, there's no personal relationship with him. And unless you've got a personal relationship with him, then you don't know him. And if you don't know him, he is the Prince of Peace. That's what he hey, is. Amen. And he's come, he came to the world, uh, to basically open up a gateway back to the real God of the Bible, because he is God. And his Father and Jesus and the Spirit of a living God are all one, and yet they're all different. And that is, a, is an incredible mystery, a very complex mystery. But we are bought by his blood, and when we believe that he came, and he, by his death, we have eternal life, and we confess our sins, that's the deal. We confess our sins, and we have eternal life. We believe in the one who was sent, Jesus, and we have eternal life. That's it. If it was any more complex than that, human beings couldn't do it. <laughs> that's that's for sure. Folks, you're listening to L.A. Marzulli, lamarzulli.net. We are going to be completing our final segment, our final uh, program segment here, coming right up with L.A. Marzulli. What a great, what a lot of information. Of course, the update on the fairy in the jar. That's right, I said fairy. In the jar, an update on that, and the findings from L.A. Marzulli. And, of course, uh, got a taste of what he's going to be doing here in the next uh, few months, right through the end of the year. Busy guy. And we're going to be back in the final segment. My question is, how bad is it going to get? Uh, bad. Stay right there with us for our final segment with L.A. Coming right up. Monday, that's right, uh, straight up at 9 o'clock, the Clinton-Trump debate. Of course, you can watch the, the, the debate live or listen to the debate live via this show. Stay right, stay tuned right where you're at. Um, folks, if you want to also follow us on uh, social networking, it's at Hagman Report and at Hagman PI on Twitter. Also on Facebook, Facebook is Hagman Report and uh, Doug Hagman on Facebook. We also have an Instagram account. You can uh, follow us on that as well. We're talking with L.A. Marzulli from lamarzulli.net. Oh, and my question is, how bad is it going to get? It's interesting because uh, it's being reported now in Variety Magazine that uh, Modern Family, this popular TV series apparently, is going to be the uh, first time going to be featuring an openly transgendered child actor on television. And of course, that modern family, as it is, the parents are so filled. The the homosexual parents, no less, are filled with pride that they raised the their child to to uh, uh, be so accepting uh, and open minded. You know, they they raised an accepting and open minded child. That's right. What's what's normal, or what's abnormal, has been uh, declared normal, and what's sinful has been declared the. Yep. Uh, Okay, you know, yeah, right, L.A., I mean, how bad is it going to get? How bad? Man, all right. Well, it's, it, it'll be like the days of Noah, Doug, and we're, and we're already there. I mean, how far down the rabbit hole before the church begins to wake up and actually start addressing the issues? And, you know, there are there are sections in, in Christendom which, which just don't get it. Look, 
you talk about transgender kids and you talk about the homosexual agenda. You know, this president, uh, President Obama, lit up the White House with rainbow colors. Under this uh, president's administration, um, gay marriage became a law of the land. And by the way, Justice Scalia, who wrote a scathing rebuttal of that, is no longer with us, dying from a very mysterious accident or a heart attack, shall we say. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And according to some of the stuff I've seen, there was a prostitute there, pillow over the guy's head, but they whisked the body away. I mean, it's the same old thing. Whisk the body away, nobody does anything. They threaten the family. I'm sure they threaten the family. I don't know where they did, but that would be, that would be the first thing. Anybody says anything, you know, you're know, you not going to wake up tomorrow morning, and that's how the game is played. And then Obama goes, you know, appointing judges, and he kind of smirks and, and looks at the camera and just smirks like this. I mean, this is just beyond the pale. And out of all the things that Obama could focus on, and I blogged about this, he could focus on the 92 million people out of work, the 30% unemployment, the ongoing conflagration in the Middle East, which will eventually, which has erupted into World War III. It's just a matter of time before it goes full tilt boogie. Uh, the, the terrorist attacks which are happening in the country, the crumbling infrastructure, the millions of people on food stamps. Out of all the, all the uh, um, items that he could focus on, he focuses on one thing, transgender bathrooms. It's, it's unheard of. That's his legacy, to try to make it so we have transgender bathrooms everywhere. And tr look, with all due respect to transgenders, you are less than a half of half of one percent of our population, and yet everything is a huge upheaval. And if you say anything, you're a homophobe. Well, no, I'm I'm not a homophobe. I'm not. But you know, you got to stand up and you go. This is not so. This is this is just not right. And I think that most of these people, a lot of these people, are deeply, deeply, deeply troubled. Then you get the other side of the coin. Some of these people may have a huge um, hormonal deal going on. And I don't, you know, I, look, I'm not a doctor, I don't know. But I have read rebuttals from the medical community about the whole idea of transgenderism. And they say it, it's, it's like almost like a disease, which, is, which you're not supposed to say, that's politically incorrect. But they're saying that like cutting people's genitals off or creating them or you know doing or adding adding to what 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 can't be the DNA of that person is still male in other words no matter how many female hormones Bruce Jenner takes no matter how many times he goes under the knife for plastic surgery and if he gets his male genitalia cut off or inverted or whatever they do um, he's still a male he's a feminized man is what he becomes but he's not a woman. And if, if a woman whose DNA is, is genetically a female, you know, gets her breast surgically removed and takes tons of male hormones, she is now a masculinized um, female. I mean, that's what she is, a, a masculinized female. That's what she is. She, she will never be a man because, because the DNA will never show that. Same thing with a, a man who becomes a woman. It just doesn't work. But this is somehow held up as our new standard. This is what we're all just supposed to just stand up and go, hooray, this is really good. It's insanity. Where evil is called good and good is called evil. And I'm not calling these people evil. It's not what I'm saying. But when, when these, look, this is just like the days of Noah. 
It is. Everything, you, read, read the book of Enoch at the absolute depravity that was going on in the days of Noah. And the homosexual community needs Jesus. They do. There's a guy called Andy Kominsky. And I remember when the first church I ever went to was the Vineyard in Santa Monica. This is like 36 years ago. And Andy Kominsky was part of that. And he, he stood up one day and they introduced this guy and he spoke and he talked about his ministry called Desert Stream. And he, and he admitted to the entire congregation that he was involved in the gay lifestyle and Jesus set him free. But you can't say that because, you know, it's, oh, you're an Islamophobe and you can't, you know, a homophobe and a xenophobe. And I mean, wait a second. You know, we're being labeled all these ridiculous labels by the left, by the loony left. You know, shut up. We're tired of it. You know, we're, we're tired of being labeled because we just stand up and say homosexuality is wrong. Why do we say that? Because the Bible tells us it's wrong, period. That's what it says. You know, and, and we're just tired of it. We're tired of being called all these ridiculous names by these so-called politicians and loony left websites and, 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 the, and the political correct crowd. We're just all sick of it. And this is why Donald Trump was going to be on in just, you know, 20 minutes from now, basically, is, is surging in the polls because he's resonating with most of the American people that are sick and tired with Washington, sick and tired of being told to shut up and sit down, sick and tired of feeling like we have absolutely no voice and we don't. We don't, you know, I mean, look, Obama's a lame duck president, and, and you look at the Senate, you look at the House, are you kidding me, controlled by Republicans, and they pass this trillion-dollar budget again? I mean, we, what, what's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this picture? Clean house. They're all in bed together. Clean house. Do, do you think, L.A., since we're talking about domestic issues here and, and the geopolitics and the politics, do you do you see or foresee a United Nations uh, initiative beyond what we're seeing right now, beyond the the Agenda 21 the, that's obviously taking place. But do you see something to uh, be incisive across the American fabric uh, to take yeah. Americans' guns away? Do you see, or do you yeah, see an I event? Do. Okay, I, I okay. do. They've been trying for eight years, Doug, and they'll never do it because the American people will never allow it. That's the right. bottom line. There will be civil disobedience if they try to do that. If somehow Hillary Clinton gets involved and gets elected, if she cheats the election, if people feel like the election is stolen, there will be civil disobedience in this country. There will be. Um, you know, we're, yeah. we're tired of it. We're tired of it. And the Second Amendment, you know, she's already come out. Well, you know, the Second Amendment needs to be revamped. And other people, Rolling Stone magazine came out and said, maybe we need a new Second These people don't know history. They don't understand what the Second Amendment is there for. And the reason why I want an AK-47, the reason why I am entitled to an AK-47, because the Second Amendment was created to protect the citizenry, drumroll please, from a tyrannical government. That's what it's for. That's what it's there. In fact, folks, if you don't think we're, we're already one step away from that, think about the Patriot Act, which allows the government to just, if, if you just, if you look like a terrorist or they suspect you of terrorism, they can come and arrest you and hold you without trial for as long as they want. That goes against everything our forefathers fought in the American Revolution. We are back to square one. And because Americans don't know their history, they don't understand that the first thing every despot, every fascist regime, every totalitarian regime does is round up the guns. 
Russia did it when the Tsar was overthrown and the communists took power. How many people died in the gulags? 60 million? 65 million? How many people have died in the concentration camps in North Korea? Millions. How many people have died under the Chinese repressive communist regime? Millions. 80 million? 90 million? The, the mind pales. And that's what they do. They all do the same thing. The guns are there for our protection against a tyrannical government. You want to see how that works? Yep. You want to see how that works? Study Wounded Knee. Study what happened at Wounded Knee. Study what happened to the First Nation people. What our government, what our government did to them is beyond the pale. Study the slave, the slavery issue in this country. And it took until Martin Luther King came on board to have even a modicum of justice in in the South and even in places in the North. It was a you know it, not an integration in, integrated uh, country. Things have changed a lot. Things need to be changed. And even people go, oh, you know, you're pointing all this stuff. What's the solution? The solution is right in front of our faces. The solution is the church. Because every Sunday, the church gets together all over America. Millions of people get together and go to church and worship Jesus. Blacks, Koreans, Native American, First Nation people, whites, everybody gets together. And you know what? Those churches, for the most part, are the most segregated places in America on Sunday. The blacks go one way, the Presbyterians go over here, the Baptists go over there, Calvary Chapel meets over here, and everybody has their little little deal, and that's it. And the Koreans have their church, and the Chinese church have their church. The answer for unity lies within the church. Because one thing that holds us together is our love for our Savior, Jesus. And you know what? When he comes and it says he's going to rule with a rod of iron, got to think about that. People don't want to think about that. But that's the millennial age. And you know what? When he comes, there's about 4 billion people on the planet. And many of these people don't want anything to do with him or Christianity or who he is or what he's trying to do. And I think that the, fo the folks that fly in with him, and that army is, you know, 10,000 10, times 10,000 times 10,000, whatever it is. It's thousands and thousands and thousands of people riding in. Those horses fly. And as you know, Doug, I had a vision. In the body, out of the body, I can't tell you. Three seconds, I was there 36 years ago in that retinue. And the armies of heaven are not stacked on one plane, spread out on one plane. They are stacked in multi-levels which go up and the form is a horseshoe and in the center of the horseshoe is the rider of the white horse and we ride with him and we become, and this is what I believe we become the white horse police force, that's my name for it and he's going to dispatch us to all corners of the world once he overthrows the dragon and we are going to help him bring order, peace and justice to this crazy world that's what we're going to be doing, I can't wait no, I I agree with you. I can't wait either. And I think at the end of the day, LA, that's really the only thing that's going to save us, or the only only solace that we have, or the only salvation we have is is um, through our Lord, of course. And but you know, you mentioned something, and I just have to kind of go back and revisit this: the segregation. We are more segregated within the church, and yeah. you're you're right, but you're right about that. Um, to, to to see how the segregation has taken place, taking place. Now, is is this is is this a, a result of some sort of external force, you know, uh, attempting to 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 uh, divide and conquer the church, or is this 
something that's coming from within? Is this kind of a, a default position, if you will, of members of, of the church? Well, even within the church, there's there's a certain hierarchy. There's a lot of political correctness. There's a lot of discrepancy. In fact, it gets to the point where you know certain so-called denominations begin to wonder whether Jesus really did all those miracles. And it's like, well, he did some of them, but not always. Well, maybe he really wasn't God. Well, the virgin birth, well, we can dismiss that, and on and on it goes. So just keep. I'm a biblical literalist. So as as things as as the gospel message, the good news message gets watered down, I dig my heels in further. Everything happened. Uh, I am a frank supernaturalist, as you know, Doug. And when the Bible speaks of, you know, virgin births and floating access, talking donkeys, uh, staffs that become snakes, and men that walk on water, word of us changing the wine, uh, you know, seas that are parted and, and stand up like heaps that allow millions of people to walk through, uh, it, I, that all happened. We serve a supernatural God, and he's returning soon. And I just hope that, that his man for the hour is Donald Trump, that he gives us mercy, we don't deserve mercy, but I pray that he would show us mercy. I pray that, that Christians would, would get out and vote, because if Hillary gets in, it's abortion on demand. It's Supreme Court justices who are as, as liberal as Sotomayor, or, or perhaps even more so. It's the end of America as we know it. It's trillions of dollars in debt. It's open borders. It's millions and millions of Muslims coming into the country. And never forget this, folks. Islam is a political ideology. And it's, it's, it just cannot sit next to the Constitution. Sharia and the Constitution, are unfortunately, are mutually exclusive. If you want Sharia, move to Iran. If you want Sharia, move to Saudi Arabia. If you want freedom and you want to uphold the Constitution, come to America. And I say that to any Muslim. If you want freedom and you believe in our Constitution, you're welcome. But if you're going to tell us and ram Sharia down our throats... Most Americans don't want any part of it. And I'm not the first person saying this. Uh, you know, but the, the, the people like Sean Hannity and Ann Coulter and, and O'Reilly and, and just a whole uh, Newt Gingrich, a, a plethora of conservative Americans are standing up going, we got problems here and we're not going to go the way of Europe, period. Do, do you see uh, this Muslim invasion? And, and that's what it is, really. It, it it's, is. it's an invasion. Exactly. It is. Yeah, it's 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 really a form of jihad. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, and one one thing, Elliot, that I I noticed when I was looking at uh, doing some research with respect to the numbers, the people that, uh, and and also overlaying that with the with the civil unrest, meaning riots. It's not unrest; they're riots. Um, I, I'm seeing this this. Coalesce, coalescence of groups such as Black Lives Matter, um, yeah. mixing with the the Nation of Islam, yeah. and e- even the MS-13 and some of the the, the gangs from uh, uh, Mexico and Central America are, are, are mixing together, and they're being used by by the organizers. I, I mean, it, it's just it, it's an amazing thing as we as we dissect and deconstruct what's going on. Um, y- well, okay. Moving on. What do you think about the uh, the, the uh, protests? I mean, I can't I can't see at this point that the protests not or anything to abate the protests. I I don't see anything mitigating the uh, the uprisings that we're seeing in the protests. I, I think they're going to continue and continually get worse. Your thoughts on that? 
Well, first of all, according to what I read, Soros, George Soros, that uh, world, you know, one world globalist guy, uh, bust people in from out of town. So those people had yes. nothing, no right really to be there. Um, they had, they had the only dog they and their they, they had in the hunt was to create as much chaos and anarchy as they possibly could, and they did a really good job of it. Look, I've looked at some of the videos, and the woman is standing there, yelling, "Don't shoot him!" Don't shoot him. Don't you dare shoot him. Don't shoot him. And did he have a gun? I don't know. They're saying there was a gun with his fingerprints on it. Well, that we all know how that can work. You know, right. you get a gun, you get the guy's hand, and there it is, right? He's dead, but you just put the hand around the gun. Now his fingerprints are on the gun. I don't know. I wasn't there. The bottom line is I saw the video. The guy was shot in cold blood. Look, I understand where the cops are at. And there are bad cops and there are good cops. I think the majority of the cops out there are good cops. I think there's maybe 5%. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm just guessing. 10%, 2%, I don't know, that are bad, that do stuff that they shouldn't do. And that's human nature, just like there right. are good preachers and bad preachers, right? There are you right. know, good priests in the Catholic Church, and then there are the priests that, that involve themselves in the sex scandals. I mean, human nature is human nature, and we're all depraved on some level, and that's why we need Jesus, period. The bottom line is, and what, this is what, where Black, Matter, Black Lives Matter, um, which is being fueled by the media, how many white people have been killed by the cops this year? No one talks about that. Nobody talks about that. How many? Uh, let me put it to you this way: How many Christians are being massacred in the Middle East, and yet we've got thousands and thousands of Muslim immigrants coming in from Syria, but but less than one percent of Christians coming in from Syria. So there's a disparity. It's a managed agenda, uh, written and penned by a left-wing media, which is part of that agenda, which is completely, as, as as certain pundits would say, in the tank with that agenda. They are just pawns in the game, and. Uh, the truth right. is is at the at the bottom of an endless well someplace. Uh, you're exactly right, La. It was great to have you with us here. We got about Thanks, uh, uh, just, got, just got a few minutes, but but you know be, before you go, you're gonna you're uh, uh, this coming Friday. You're gonna be in Knoxville with here the Watchman at that that conference, right? Yep. Uh, yep. Can't you're wait. scheduled for that. Really great. Okay, and then uh, then you've got other conferences in addition after that, correct? Um, yeah, I do. You're Yes, I do. Uh, Here, the Watchman is is the one that uh, I I don't think it's sold out yet. It might be. It, I know it's real close to it. But if you can go live streaming and, and check that out. Just go to hearthewatchman.com, hearthewatchman.com, and check it out for yourself. Um, the last one you and I were at, Doug, that was just fantastic. Upwards yeah, of a thousand people, and it was just just a really really great time in the Lord and some great speakers. I know John B. Wells will be back, and Josh Tully will be back. We've got some new people, Anthony Patch. Is joining us, and so uh, it's, I think it's just going to be really great. And it, it, some great speakers like Russ Dizdar, um, and m myself, and and others. Um, after that, I, I'm, I go to an undisclosed location uh, the following Friday, and I'm there for, research, for seven huh? days. Yeah, research. Can't say anything. Come back, and we go to the Georgia conference, which is called Freedom's Light Church. Freedom's Light Churches in Georgia. It's up on the blog, lamarjuli.wordpress.com. It is okay. in Georgia. There'll be Russ Dizdar will be there also. Casper uh, McLeod will be there. From there, we go to Chuck Missler's conference, uh, Koinonia House. Can't wait for that. Uh, that's that's. I think his tickets may be uh, available. Uh, and then from there, we go to Reno, the Reno conference. Here, the Watchman. That's just myself and and um, uh, one other speaker. 
and I'll also be leading a, a group of people out to the Little Alien Inn, Alien Inn which is near uh, Area 51. Obviously, we can't get into Area 51, but we will try to do some sky watching, and I will lecture um, about what I know about the place. And my, uh, I did spend time with Bob Lazar when he was there, and this goes back 25 years ago for crying out loud. Uh, so you know that that's it. And then when I'm after Reno. Uh, I'm basically, which I, it's hard to believe. After Reno, I'm pretty much done, and that's a week before Thanksgiving, I think. Oh, it's a, it's a packed schedule, and we're gonna be praying for you during your travels, and certainly during your research. I can't wait to uh, hear about the, the results of your research, and of course your your DVD series, The Watchers One Through Ten, an amazing price at under hundred hundred dollars for the series while supplies last, and of course Days of Chaos. LAMarzilli.wordpress.com. That's your, your blog site, and LAMarzilli.net is your primary site. LA, thanks so much for being with us tonight, and God bless you, my friend. Doug, the pleasure is mine, and the honor is mine. Thank you, sir. All right, we'll talk soon. Folks, that was LA Marzulli from LAMarzilli.net. You know him. I mean, what a, what a great guy. Now, here in just about eight minutes, we're about, well, seven and a half minutes away from the debate, the 2016 Clump v. It's Clump. Trump v. Clinton debate. Um, maybe it is a clump. I don't know, but but certainly I'm anxious to see what what's going to come come um, come about with this debate. Your thoughts, folks? Do you think Hillary Clinton's going to going to have a, a a distinctly good appearance, surprisingly good appearance? I I kind of think so. Uh, a lot seems to be riding on this. At least that's the perception among the population. A hundred million plus going to be watching this debate. And of course, just don't go anywhere. If you're already tuned into the Hagman and Hagman report, you can listen to it as we, as we, uh, simulcast it over Global Star Radio Network. And you can watch it too as we watch it together right here on YouTube Live. You know, uh, I was mentioning too, just earlier on, and I'm not sure if you, you folks, uh, those of you joining us late, well, Hofstra, Hofstra University, where the debate is being held, of course, uh, they, and, and now this is all over the media. Uh, initially it was, uh, it was on Twitter and it was just one picture where they had a trigger warning. The event conducted, uh, just beyond this sign may contain trigger, triggering and or sensitive material, sexual violence, sexual assault and abuse are some topics mentioned within the event. You know, so now what they're, what they're doing is they're using taxpayers' money, right? They've got counselors. They've got uh, numerous resources under Title IX to provide solace and comfort to anyone who feels the need uh, should they be triggered by this, by the content of this of this debate. Are you kidding? I mean, really? This is as I as I wrote at HagmanReport.com. This is the snowflake generation. You know, what's covering, or what is this debate? What are these political machinations covering? Well, on Friday, a 189-page summary of the interviews conducted in the investigation of Hillary Clinton's uh, emails, of course, was released. And the findings are numerous findings. You've got uh, now the revelation, the total number of witnesses who were who received uh, uh, some level of immunity are up to five in this case which is a, quite a number, given the number of people involved. You've got uh, accusations and assertions that are backed up by documentation that the <clears throat> FOIA process was being interfered with, the formal FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act process, being interfered with. Uh, that, that witness who 
asserted that, pointed out to the collection, pointed to the collection of 296 Benghazi emails that were among the first records to emerge publicly from the Clinton uh, email trove. The FBI, uh, the, this individual, this witness told the FBI that the State Department officials had included redactions done for Clinton's privacy but unrelated to national security. So what they're doing is they are redacting, obviously, even well, the redacting the information that should be left uh, included in the emails, 296 to be exact. Um, it was dis- determined that Clinton deleted nearly 1,000 emails uh, with Petraeus. In August of 2015, the Pentagon called the State Department and informed an unnamed official there that CENTCOM records showed approximately 1,000 work-related emails between Clinton's personal email and General David Petraeus. Remember what position Petraeus held during that time. Most of the 1,000 emails were not believed to be included in the 30,000 that Clinton turned over to the State Department back in December 2014. Look at this, folks. Getting back, as we follow the debates live, Lester Holt here, providing the fact-checking, perhaps. Let's watch it together. You're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Reporting. Right back. Report on this Monday, Debate Monday, Clinton v. Trump. We're going to be covering it live right here from our radio and television studios. Folks, if you're listening live via Global Star, you can listen in. We're going to be piping the audio through. And if you're watching, there it is right there, the screen with the debate. We're going to be giving some commentary. And if you're there at the debate, of course, uh, the staff at this debate, they're using handheld uh, air check devices to detect unauthorized internet use by members of the media because you see, if you want to access the internet at this particular location, it's 200 bucks. Violators will be charged if you, if they don't pay the 200 bucks. So the device, it's by Fluke Networks, identifies and flags the rogue networks and authorized clients. So there you have it. They want their money. And, of course, if you do feel faint, woozy, or whatever because of the content of the debates, if something is triggered within you, you there are school resources to help you out there uh, under Title IX and, of course, other taxpayer-funded programs. You can seek your counseling, and and, uh, it's it's just ridiculous in the snowflake generation. So we're going to open up the, uh, if we haven't done it already, we're going to open up the, the screen here. As you can see, well, you can see, there it is, right there. And uh, uh, we're, we're waiting on Trump and Clinton to come out. But my question is, as we're waiting on this, uh, Holt, what do you think? Do you think he's going to serve as this fact checker? He's going to call out Trump, his lies, perhaps? I don't know. Um, Candy Crowley type situation? I don't know. It, it's it's interesting because of course you've got that's not a, the that's not the job of the moderator or the debate moderator. It's not his job. These these people think we're stupid. Really, they do. And folks, by the way, this is the first time we're doing this. So if this seems a little bit cumbersome, hey, I'm new at this. So fire me. Um, 
Yeah, and you'll notice if you look at the monitor there on, on stage, you'll see that the podiums or the lecterns more appropriately are a little bit different size sizes, and that's of course to accommodate Hillary's small size versus Trump's six two size. I feel like I'm refereeing this sports event here. It just feels it has that feel to it. And it shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, I could put my feet up on that. Yeah, really. Uh, so we're still waiting for the uh, debate participants to come, to come out. But uh, look at this and, and see that we are, uh, I guess we're being gamed. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It's it's uh, it's clearly a, a, a globalist agenda versus a nationalist agenda. It's clearly the globalist versus the people who, the movement behind the man. It's not necessarily the man himself, but it's the movement behind the man that the globalists are afraid of. And don't, don't forget that. You always have to remember that. Folks, you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Hagman Report and at Hagman PI. Uh, like us on Facebook as well. And, of course, two websites, Hagman and Hagman.com, HagmanReport.com for those new to the program. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us, and thank you so much for your belief and your support in us. We really appreciate that. Tomorrow night, Stan Dale. And Wednesday, Pastor Langford and Steve Quayle. We're going to have a great program on Wednesday. All right, it looks like we're, we're kind of zooming in here on the uh, – look, looks like the, the debate, the, the participants are about ready. And let's jump through the uh, volume here. From NBC, and this debate starts. Good evening, from, good evening from Hofstra University in Hempstead, New York. I'm Lester Holt, anchor of NBC Nightly News. I want to welcome you to the first presidential debate. The participants tonight are Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. This debate is sponsored by the Commission on Presidential Debates, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. The commission drafted tonight's format, and the rules have been agreed to by the campaigns. The 90-minute debate is divided into six segments, each 50 minutes long. We'll explore three topic areas tonight, achieving prosperity, America's direction, and securing America. At the start of each segment, I will ask the same lead-off question to both candidates, and they will each have up to two minutes to respond. From that point until the end of the segment, we'll have an open discussion. The questions are mine and have not been shared with the commission or the campaigns. The audience here in the room has agreed to remain silent so that we can focus on what the candidates are saying. I will invite you to applaud, however, at this moment as we welcome the candidates. Democratic nominee for President of the United States, Hillary Clinton, and Republican nominee for President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Well, I don't expect us to cover all the issues of this campaign tonight, but I remind everyone there are two more presidential debates scheduled. We are going to focus on many of the issues that voters tell us are most important, and we're going to press for specifics. I am honored to have this role, but this evening belongs to the candidates and just as important to the American people. Candidates, we look forward to hearing you articulate your policies and your positions, as well as your visions and your values. So, let's begin. 
We're calling this opening segment Achieving Prosperity, and central to that is jobs. There are two economic realities in America today. There's been a record six straight years of job growth, and new census numbers show incomes have increased at a record rate after years of stagnation. However, income inequality remains significant, and nearly half of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Beginning with you, Secretary Clinton, why are you a better choice than your opponent to create the kinds of jobs that will put more money into the pockets of American workers? Well, thank you, Lester, and thanks to Hofstra for hosting us. The central question in this election is really what kind of country we want to be and what kind of future we'll build together. Today is my granddaughter's second birthday, so I think about this a lot. First, we have to build an economy that works for everyone, not just those at the top. That means we need new jobs, good jobs, with rising incomes. I want us to invest in you. I want us to invest in your future. That means jobs in infrastructure, in advanced manufacturing, in innovation and technology, clean renewable energy, and small business, because most of the new jobs will come from small business. We also have to make the economy fairer. That starts with raising the national minimum wage and also guarantee, finally, equal pay for women's work. I also want to see more companies do profit sharing. If you help create the profits, you should be able to share in them, not just the executives at the top. And I want us to do more to support work? people who are struggling to balance family and work. I've heard from so many of you about the difficult choices you face and the stresses that you're under. So let's have paid family leave, earn sick days. Let's be sure we have affordable child care and debt-free college. How are we going to do it? We're going to do it by having the wealthy pay their fair share and close the corporate loopholes. Finally, we tonight are on the stage together, Donald Trump and I. Uh, Donald, it's good to be with you. We're going to have a debate where we are talking about the important issues facing our country. You have to judge us. Who can shoulder the immense, awesome responsibilities of the presidency? Who can put into action the plans that will make your life better? I hope that I will be able to earn your vote on November 8th. Secretary Clinton, thank you. Mr. Trump, the same question to you. It's about putting money, more money, into the pockets of American workers. You have up to two minutes. Thank you, Lester. Uh, our jobs are fleeing the country. They're going to Mexico. They're going to many other countries. You look at what China is doing to our country in terms of making our product. They're devaluing their currency, and there's nobody in our government to fight them. And we have a very good fight, and we have a winning fight because they're using our country as a piggy bank to rebuild China, That's and many other countries are doing the same thing. So we're losing our good jobs, so many of them. When you look at what's happening in Mexico, a friend of mine who builds plants said it's the eighth wonder of the world. They're building some of the biggest plants anywhere in the world, some of the most sophisticated, some of the best plants. With the United States, as he said, not so much. So Ford is leaving. You see that, their small car division leaving thousands of jobs, leaving Michigan, leaving Ohio. 
they're all leaving, and we can't allow it to happen anymore. As far as child care is concerned and so many other things, I think Hillary and I agree on that. Uh, we like probably disagree there. a little bit her, as to uh, numbers and amounts and what we're going to do, but perhaps we'll be talking about that later. But we have to stop our jobs from being stolen from us. We have to stop our companies from leaving the United States, and with it, firing all of their people. All you have to do is take a look at carrier air conditioning in uh, Indianapolis. They left, fired 1,400 people. They're going to Mexico. So many, hundreds and hundreds of companies are doing this. We cannot let it happen. Under my plan, I'll be reducing taxes tremendously from 35% to 15% for companies, small and big businesses. That's going to be a job creator like we haven't seen since Ronald Reagan. It's going to be a beautiful thing to watch. Companies will come, they will build, they will expand, new companies will start, and I look very, very much forward to doing it. We have to renegotiate our trade deals, and we have to stop these countries from stealing our companies and our jobs. There you go. Secretary Clinton, would you like to respond? Well, I think that trade is an important issue. Of course, we are 5% of the world's population. We have to trade with the other 95%. And we need to have smart, fair trade deals. We also, though, need to have a tax system that rewards work and not just financial transactions. And the kind of plan that Donald has put forth would be trickle-down economics all over again. In fact, it would be the most extreme version, the biggest tax cuts for uh, the top percents of the people in this country that we've ever had. I call it trumped-up trickle-down, because that's exactly what it would be. That is not how we grow the economy. We just have a different view about what's best for growing the economy, how we make investments that will actually produce jobs and rising incomes. I think we come at it from somewhat different perspectives. Uh, I understand that. You know, Donald uh, was very fortunate in his life, and that's all to his benefit. Uh, he started his business with $14 million borrowed from his father, Ooh. and he really believes that the more you help Thanks. wealthy people, the better off we'll be, and that everything will work out from there. I don't buy that. I have a different experience. My father was a small businessman. He worked really hard. He printed drapery fabrics on long tables where he pulled out those fabrics and went down with a silk screen and dumped the paint in and took the squeegee and kept going. And so what I believe is the more we can do for the middle class, the more we can invest in you, your education, your skills, your future, the better we will be off and the better we'll grow. That's the kind of economy I want us to see again. Let me follow up with Mr. Trump if I can. You've talked about creating 25 million jobs, and you've promised to bring, bring back millions of, uh, of jobs for Americans. How are we going to bring back the industries that have left this country for cheaper labor overseas? How specifically are you going to tell American manufacturers that you have to come back? Well, for one thing, uh, and before we start on that, my father... Uh, gave me a very small loan in 1975, and I built it into a company that's worth many, many billions of dollars with some of the greatest assets in the world. And I say that only because that's the kind of thinking that our country needs. Our country's in deep trouble. We don't know what we're doing when it comes to devaluations and all of these countries all over the world, especially China. They're the, the best, the best ever at it. What they're doing to us is a very, very sad thing. So we have to do that. We have to renegotiate our trade deals. Unless you're, they're taking 
taking our jobs, they're giving incentives, they're doing things that, frankly, we don't do. Uh, let me give you the example of Mexico. They have a VAT tax. We're in a different system. When we sell into Mexico, there's a tax. When they sell in automatic, 16% approximately. When they sell into us, there's no tax. It's a defective agreement. It's been defective for a long time, many years, but the politicians haven't done anything about it. Now, in all fairness to uh, Secretary Clinton, yes, is that okay? Good. I want you to be very happy. It's very important to me. Oh, but in all fairness to Secretary Clinton, when she that? started talking about this, it was really very recently. She's been doing this for 30 years. And why hasn't she made the agreements better? The NAFTA agreement is defective just because of the tax and many other reasons, but just because of the tax. Let me interrupt just a moment. Secretary Clinton and others, politicians, should have been doing this for years. Not right now because go. of the fact that we've created a movement. They should have been doing this for years. What's happened to our jobs and our country and our economy generally is, look, we owe $20 trillion. We cannot do it any longer, Lester. Back to the question, though. How do you bring back, specifically bring back jobs? American manufacturers, how do you make them bring the jobs back? Well, the first thing you do is don't let the jobs leave. The companies are leaving. I could name, I mean, there are thousands of them. They're leaving, and they're leaving in bigger numbers than ever. And what you do is you say, fine, you want to go to Mexico or some other country, good luck. We wish you a lot of luck. But if you think you're going to make your air conditioners or your cars or your cookies or whatever you make and bring them into our country without a tax, you're wrong. And once you say you're going to have to tax them coming in, and our politicians never do this, because they have special interests and the special interests want those companies to leave because so in many cases they own the companies. So what I'm saying is we can stop them from leaving. We have to stop them from leaving. And that's a big, big factor. Let me let Secretary Clinton Well, let's stop for a second and remember where we were eight years ago. We had the worst financial crisis, the Great Recession, the worst since the 1930s. That was in large part because of tax policies that slashed taxes on the wealthy, failed to invest in the middle class, took their eyes off of Wall Street, and created a perfect storm. In fact, Donald was one of the people who rooted for the housing crisis. He said back in 2006, Gee, I, I hope it does collapse because then I can go in and buy some and make some money. Well, it did collapse. That's called nine, business, by nine the way. Nine million people. Nine million people lost their jobs. Five million people lost their homes. And $13 trillion in family wealth was wiped out. Now, we have come back from that abyss. And it has not been easy. So we're now on the precipice of having a potentially much better economy, but the last thing we need to do is to go back to the policies that failed us in the first place. Independent experts have looked at what I've proposed and looked at what Donald's proposed, and basically they've said this, that if his tax plan, which would blow up the debt by over $5 trillion and would in some instances, disadvantage middle-class families compared to the wealthy were to go into effect, we would lose three and a half million jobs and maybe have another recession. They've looked at my plans and they've said, okay, if we can do this, and I intend to get it done, we will have 10 million more new jobs because we will be making investments where we can grow the economy. Take clean energy. 
Some country is going to be the clean energy superpower of the 21st century. Donald thinks that climate change is a hoax perpetrated by the Chinese. I think it's real. I, I did I not. Science I, is real. I do not say that. And I think it's I do important not say that. that we grip this and deal with it, both at home and abroad. And here's what we can do. We can deploy a half a billion more solar panels. We can have enough clean energy to power every home. We can build a new modern electric grid. That's a lot of jobs. That's a lot of new economic activity. So I've tried to be very specific about what we can and should do, and I am determined that we're going to get the economy really moving again, building on the progress we've made over the last eight years, but never going back to what got us in trouble in the first place. Mr. Trump. She talks about solar panels. Uh, we invested in a solar company, our country. That was a disaster. They lost plenty of money on that one. Now, look. I'm a great believer in all forms of energy, but we're putting a lot of people out of work. Our energy policies are a disaster. Our country is losing so much in terms of energy, in terms of paying off our debt. You can't do what you're looking to do with $20 trillion in debt. The Obama administration, from the time they've come in, is over 230 years' worth of debt, and he's topped it. He's doubled it in a course of almost eight years, seven and a half years to be semi-exact. So I will tell you this, uh, we have to do a much better job at keeping our jobs, and we have to do a much better job at giving companies incentive to build new companies or to expand, because they're not doing it. And all you have to do is look at Michigan, and look at Ohio, and look at all of these places where so many of their of their jobs and their companies are just leaving. They're gone. And Hillary, I just ask you this. You've been doing this for 30 years. Why are you just thinking about these solutions right now? For 30 years you've been doing it, and now you're just starting to think of solutions. Well, actually, I will bring, excuse me, I will bring back jobs. You can't bring back jobs. Well, actually, um, I have thought about this quite a bit. Yeah, for 30 and years. I have, uh, well, not quite that long. Uh, I think my husband did a pretty good job in the 1990s. I think a lot about what worked and how we can make it work again. Well, he approved a million NAFTA. new jobs, he approved a balanced NAFTA, budget. Which is the single and worst trade deal incomes, ever approved in this country. Incomes went up for everybody. Manufacturing jobs went up also in the 1990s, if we're actually going to look at the facts. When I was in the Senate... I had a number of trade deals that came before me, and I held them all to the same test. Will they create jobs in America? Will they raise incomes in America? And are they good for our national security? Some of them I voted for. The biggest one, a multinational one known as CAFTA, I voted against. And because I hold the same standards as I look at all of these trade deals. But let's not assume that trade is the only challenge we have in the economy. I think it is a part of it, and I've said what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a special prosecutor. We're going to enforce the trade deals we have, and we're going to hold people accountable. When I was Secretary of State, we actually increased American exports globally 30 percent. We increased them to China 50 percent. So I know how to really work to get new jobs and to get exports that help to create more 
new jobs. Right. Well, you haven't done it in 30 years or 26 years. Well, any I, you I've been to... a senator. You haven't Donald, done it. And you haven't I done have it. been a and secretary of state. And I have Your done husband signed NAFTA, which was one of the worst things that ever happened well, to the manufacturing industry. That is your You opinion. go to New England. You go to Ohio, Pennsylvania. You go anywhere you want, Secretary Clinton, and you will see devastation where manufacturing is down 30, 40, sometimes 50 percent. NAFTA is the worst trade deal maybe ever signed anywhere, but certainly ever signed in this country. And now you want to approve Trans-Pacific Partnership. You were totally in favor of it. Then you heard what I was saying, how bad it is, and you said, I can't win that debate. But you know that if you did win, you would approve that, and that will be almost as bad as NAFTA. Nothing will ever well, top NAFTA. That That is just not accurate. I... Uh was against it once it was finally negotiated and the terms were laid out. I wrote about that in... You called it the gold I, I standard. About, well, I hope You called I, it the gold standard of trade and, deals. You, you know said what? it's the finest deal you've ever seen. No. And then you heard what I said about it and all of a sudden you were against it. Well, Donald, I know you live in your own reality, but oh, yeah. that is not the facts. The facts are, I did say, I hoped it would be a good deal, but when it was negotiated, not. which I was not responsible for... I concluded it wasn't. I wrote about that. So is it President Obama's fault? Is it President Obama's fault? Even announced. Look, there Secretary, are Secretary, is it President there, Obama's fault? There are Because he's pushing it. There are different views about what's good for our country, our economy, and our leadership in the world. And I think it's important to look at what we need to do to get the economy going again. That's why I said new jobs with rising incomes, investments, not in more tax cuts that would add $5 trillion to the debt. But you have but no plan. Oh, I do. Secretary, fact, you I have, have no plan. a book about it. It's called Stronger Together. You yeah. can pick it up That's tomorrow about all you folks, at we're the gonna... bookstore or at an airport near you. We're going to move to uh, but it's because I see this. We need to have strong growth, fair growth, sustained growth. We also have to look at how we help families balance the responsibilities at home and the responsibilities at business. So we have a very robust set of plans. And people who have looked at both of our plans have concluded that mine would create 10 million jobs and yours would lose us three and a half million jobs and explode You are going debt, to approve one of the biggest tax cuts in history. You are going to approve one of the biggest tax increases in history. You are going to drive business out. Your regulations are a disaster and you're going to increase regulations all over the place. And by the way, my tax cut is the biggest since Ronald Reagan. I'm very proud of it. It will create tremendous numbers of new jobs. But regulations, you are going to regulate these businesses out of existence. When I go around, Lester, I tell you this, I've been all over. And when I go around, despite the tax cut, the, thing, the things that business as and people like the most is the fact that I'm cutting regulation. You have regulations on top of regulations and new companies cannot form and old companies are going out of business and you want to increase the regulations and make them even worse. I'm going to cut regulations but I'm going to cut taxes big league and you're going to raise taxes big league. End of story. Let me get you to pause right there because we're going to yes, move, well, into, the, we're going to that, move into the next second. Yeah, we're that, talk that, can't, that can't be left Please, to stand. Take, take you know, seconds, I, I kind on. of assumed that there would be a lot of these 
charges and claims. And so Facts. we have taken uh, the homepage of my website, HillaryClinton.com, and we've turned it into a fact checker. So if you want to see in real time uh, what the facts are, please go and take a look. Because and take I a look at mine also. And not you'll see. add a penny to the debt, and your plans would add $5 trillion to the debt. What I have proposed would cut regulations and streamline them for small businesses. What I have proposed would be paid for by raising taxes on the wealthy because they have made all the gains in the economy. And I think it's time that the wealthy and corporations paid their fair share to support this. Well, country. you just opened the next segment. Well, look, can I just finish that? I, I think I, to, I, I, think I should. You, I'm going to you give go you to her website right and you take a look at her segment. website. She's going to raise taxes, $1.3 trillion. Trump, like look at her website. Or, or you know what? It's no different than this. She's telling us how to fight ISIS. Just go to her website. She tells you how to fight ISIS on her website. I don't think General Douglas MacArthur would like that too much. The next, the next segment, we're continuing well, the subject. Well, at least I have a plan to fight ISIS. No, no, you're telling the enemy everything you want to do. No, we're not. See, you're telling we're the not. enemy everything we you are, want to do. No wonder you've fighting. been fighting. No wonder you've been fighting ISIS your Folks. entire adult life. Folks, well, that, that's me, a that's let, go to the please the fact checkers get folks, to work. You are unpacking a lot here, and we're still in the issue of uh, achieving prosperity. And I want to talk about uh, taxes. Uh, the fundamental difference between the two of you concerns the wealthy. Uh, Secretary Clinton, you're calling for a tax increase in the wealthiest Americans. I'd like you to further defend that. And Mr. Trump, you're calling for tax cuts for the wealthy. I'd like you to defend that. And this next two minute answer goes to you, Mr. Trump. Well, I'm really calling for major jobs because the wealthy are going to create tremendous jobs. They're going to expand their companies. They're going to do a tremendous job. I'm getting rid of the carried interest provision. And if you really look, it's not a tax. It's really not a great thing for the wealthy. It's a great thing for middle class. It's a great thing for companies to expand. And when these people are going to put billions and billions of dollars into companies, and when they're going to bring two and a half trillion dollars back from overseas, where they can't bring the money back because politicians like Secretary Clinton won't allow them to bring the money back because the taxes are so onerous and the bureaucratic red tape so what is so bad. So what they're doing is they're leaving our country and they're, believe it or not, leaving because taxes are too high and because some of them have lots of money outside of our country and instead of bringing it back and putting the money to work because they can't work out a deal to and everybody agrees it should be brought back. Instead of that, they're leaving our country to get their money because they can't bring their money back into our country because of bureaucratic red tape, because they can't get together. Because we have a pre we have a president that can't sit them around a table and get them to approve something. And here's the thing. Republicans and Democrats agree that this should be done. Two and a half trillion. I happen to think it's double that. It's probably five trillion dollars that we can't bring into our country, Lester. And with a little leadership, you'd get it in here very quickly. And it could be put to use on the inner cities and lots of other things. And it would be beautiful. But we have no leadership. And honestly, that starts with Secretary Clinton. All right, you have two minutes on the same question to defend tax increases on the wealthiest American, Secretary Clinton. I, I have a feeling that by the end of this evening, I'm going to be blamed for everything. Two that's minutes, ever how's that working? Why not? Why not? Yeah, why not? Jo you know, just, just, just join, uh, join the debate by uh, saying more crazy things. Now, let me it, say it, There's nothing crazy is about not letting our companies case. bring their money it, back into this their is, country. This is uh, Secretary Clinton's two minutes, yes. please. 
Yeah, well, let's start the clock again, Lester. Um, we've looked at your tax proposals. I don't see changes in the corporate tax rates or the kinds of proposals you're referring to that would cause the repatriation, bringing back of money that's stranded overseas. I happen to then you support didn't that. I happen, to, I happen to support that in a way that will actually work to our benefit. But when I look at what you have proposed, you have what is called now the Trump loophole because it would so advantage you and the business you do. You've proposed a, an name? approach First that ever. has a that $4 billion dollar tax Let's... benefit for your family. And when you look at what much, you are proposing, it is, as I said, trumped up, trickle down. Trickle down did not work. It got us into the mess we were in in 2008 and nine. Slashing taxes on the wealthy hasn't worked. And a lot of really smart, wealthy people know that. And they are saying, hey, we need to do more to make the contributions we should be making to rebuild the middle class. I don't think top-down works in America. I think building the middle class, investing in the middle class, making college debt-free so more young people can get their education, helping people refinance their tax, their, their debt from college at a lower rate. Those are the kinds of things that will really boost the economy. Broad-based, inclusive growth is what we need in America, not more advantages for people at the very top. Mr. Trump, typical politician, all talk, no action, sounds good, doesn't work, never going to happen. Our country is suffering because people like Secretary Clinton have made such bad decisions in terms of our jobs and in terms of what's going on. Now, look, we have the worst revival of an economy since the Great Depression. And believe me, we're in a bubble right now. And the only thing that looks good is the stock market. But if you raise interest rates even a little bit, that's going to come crashing down. We are in a big, fat, ugly bubble. And we better be awfully careful. And we have a Fed that's doing political things. This Janet Yellen of the Fed. The Fed is doing political by keeping the interest rates at this level. And believe me, the day Obama goes off and he leaves and he goes out to the golf course for the rest of his life to play golf, when they raise interest rates, you're going to see some very bad things happen because the Fed is not doing their job. The Fed is being more political than Secretary Clinton. Mr. Trump, we're talking about the burden that Americans have to pay, yet you have not released your tax returns. And, and the reason nominees have, have released their returns for decades is that voters will know if their potential president owes money to, who you know owes it to, and any business conflicts. Uh, don't Americans have a right to know if there are any conflicts of interest? I don't mind releasing. I'm under a routine audit, and it'll be released. And as soon as the audit's finished, it'll be released. But you will learn more about Donald Trump by going down to the federal elections where I filed a 104-page, essentially financial statement of sorts, the forms that they have, it shows income. In fact, the income, I just looked today, the income is filed at $694 million for this past year. $694 million. You would have told me I was going to make that 15 or 20 years ago. I would have been very surprised. But that's the kind of thinking that our country needs. When we have a country that's doing so badly, that's being ripped off by every single country in the world, it's the kind of thinking that our country needs because everybody... 
Lester, we have a trade deficit with all of the countries that we do business with of almost $800 billion a year. You know what that is? That means who's negotiating these trade deals? We have people that are political hacks negotiating our trade deals. The IRS says an me. audit of your taxes. Uh, it's, you're perfectly free to release uh, your taxes during an audit. And so the question, does the public's right to know outweigh your personal... Well, I told you, I will release them as soon as the audit. Look, I've been under audit almost for 15 years. I know a lot of wealthy people that have never been audited. I said, do you get audited? I get audited almost every year. And in a way, I should be complaining. I'm not even complaining. I don't mind it. It's almost become a way of life. I get audited by the IRS. But other people don't. I will say this. Uh, we have a situation in this country that has to be taken care of. I will release my tax returns against my lawyer's wishes when she releases her 33,000 emails that have been deleted. As soon as she now releases them, I will release. I will release my tax returns. And that's against my lawyers. They say, don't do it. I will tell you this. No, in fact, watching shows, uh, reading the papers. Almost every lawyer says, you don't release your returns until the audit's complete. When the audit's complete, I'll do it. But I would go against them if she releases her... So it's negotiable? It's not negotiable. No, let her release the... Why did she delete 33,000? Well, I'll let her ask that, but let me just uh, admonish the audience one more time. There was an agreement. We did ask you to be silent, so it would be helpful for us. Secretary Clinton. Well, I think you've just seen another example of bait and switch here. Um, for 40 years, everyone running for president has released their tax returns. You can go and see nearly, I think, 39, 40 years of our tax returns, but everyone has done it. We know the IRS has made clear there is no prohibition on releasing it when you're under audit. So you've got to ask yourself, why won't he release his tax returns? And I think there may be a couple of reasons. First, maybe he's not as rich as he says he is. Second, maybe he's not as charitable as he claims to be. Third, we don't know all of his business dealings, but we have been told through investigative reporting that he owes about $650 million to Wall Street and foreign banks. Oh, he's going to come Or back maybe hard, he doesn't folks. want the American people, all of you yeah. watching tonight, to know that he's paid nothing in federal taxes because the only years that anybody's ever seen were a couple of years when he had to turn them over to state authorities when he was trying to get a casino license, and they showed he didn't pay any federal income tax. So that makes if me he's smart. paid zero, that means zero for troops, zero for vets, zero for schools or health. And I think probably he's not uh, all that enthusiastic about having the rest of our country see uh, what the real reasons are, because it must be something really important, even terrible, that he's trying to hide. And the financial disclosure statement, they don't give you the tax rate. They don't give you all the details that tax returns would. And, she's queen and of it just seems to me right? that this is something that the American people deserve to see. And I have no reason to believe that uh, he's ever going to release his tax returns because there's something he's hiding. And we'll guess. We'll keep guessing at what then, it might no, be that he's hiding. Uh, but I think he's hiding? the question is, were he ever to get near the White House, what would be those conflicts? Who does he owe money to? Well, he owes you the answers to that, and he should provide them. He also, he also raised the issue of your emails. Do you want to respond to that? 
I do. You know, I made a mistake using a private email. That's for sure. Um, and if I had to do it over again, I would obviously do it differently. Um, but I'm not going to make any excuses. It was a mistake, and I take responsibility for that. Mr. Trump? That was more than a mistake. That was done purposely. Okay, that was not a mistake. That was done purposely. When you have your staff taking the Fifth Amendment, taking the Fifth so they're not prosecuted, when you have the man that set up the illegal server taking the Fifth, I think it's disgraceful. And believe me, this country thinks it's disgraceful. It really thinks it's disgraceful also. As far as my tax returns, you don't learn that much from tax returns, that I can tell you. You learn a lot from financial disclosure. And you should go down and take a look at that. The other thing, I'm extremely under-leveraged. Uh, the report that said 650, which, by the way, a lot of friends of mine that know my business said, boy, that's really not a lot of money. It's not a lot of money relative to what I had. The buildings that were in question, they said in the same report, which was actually wasn't even a bad story, to be honest with you, but the buildings are worth $3.9 billion. And the 650 isn't even on that. But it's not 650. It's much less than that. But I could give you a list of banks. I would, If that would help you, I would give you a list of banks. These are very fine institutions, very fine banks. I could do that very quickly. I am very under-leveraged. I have a great company. I have a tremendous income. And the reason I say that is not in a braggadocious way. It's because it's about time that this country had somebody running it that has an idea about money. When we have $20 trillion in debt and our country's a mess, you know, it's one thing to have $20 trillion in debt and our roads are good and our bridges are good and everything's in great shape, our airports. Our airports are like from a third world country. You land at LaGuardia, you land at Kennedy, you land at LAX, you land at Newark. And you come in from Dubai and Qatar, and you see these incredible, you come in from China, you see these incredible airports, and you land, we become a third world country. So, the worst of all things has happened. We owe $20 trillion, and we're a mess. We haven't even started. And we've spent $6 trillion in the Middle East, according to a report that I just saw, whether it's six or five, but it looks like it's six. Six trillion dollars in the Middle East. We could have rebuilt our country twice. And it's really a shame. And it's politicians like Secretary Clinton that have caused this problem. Our country has tremendous problems. We're a debtor nation. We're a serious debtor nation. And we have a country that needs new roads, new tunnels, new bridges, new airports, new schools, new hospitals. And we don't have the money because it's been squandered on so many of your ideas. What's your and maybe and because you haven't paid any federal income tax for a lot of years. Oh. And the other thing I think is important It would to be squandered, too, believe me. If, yeah, your, if your main claim to be president of the United States is your business, then I think we should talk about that. You know, your campaign manager said that you built a lot of businesses on the backs of little guys. And indeed, I have met a lot of the people who were stiffed by you and your businesses, Donald. I've met dishwashers, painters, architects, glass installers, marble installers, drapery installers, like my dad was, who you refused to pay when they finished the work that you asked them to do. We have an architect in the audience who designed one of your clubhouses at one of your golf courses. It's a beautiful facility. It immediately was put to use. 
and you wouldn't pay what the man needed to be paid, what he was charging you. Maybe he do. didn't do a good job, and I was well, unsatisfied with do, his work, thousands, which our country do the, should do, do the too. Thousands of people that you have stiffed over the course of your business not deserve some kind of apology from someone who has taken their labor, taken the goods that they produced, and then refused to pay them. I can only say that I'm certainly relieved that my late father never did business with you. Uh, he provided a good middle-class life for us, but the people he worked for, he expected the bargain to be kept on both sides. And when we talk about your business, you've taken business bankruptcy six times. There are a lot of great business people that have never taken bankruptcy once. You call yourself the king of debt. You talk about leverage. You even at one time suggested that you would try to negotiate down the Wrong. national debt of the Wrong. United States. Well, sometimes there's not a direct transfer of skills from business to government, but sometimes what happened in business would be really bad for government. And we need to be very clear about that. Look. It's all words. It's all sound bites. I built an unbelievable company. Some of the greatest assets anywhere in the world, real estate assets anywhere in the world, beyond the United States, in Europe, lots of different places. It's an unbelievable company. But on occasion, four times, we used certain laws that are there. And when Secretary Clinton talks about people that didn't get paid, First of all, they did get paid a lot, but taking advantage of the laws of the nation. Now, if you want to change the laws, you've been there a long time, change the laws. But I take advantage of the laws of the nation because I'm running no, a company. Running my obligation right now is to do well for myself, my family, my employees, for my companies. And that's what I do. But what she doesn't say is the tens of thousands of people that are unbelievably happy and that love me. I'll give you an example. We're just opening up on Pennsylvania Avenue right next to the White House. So if I don't get there one way, I'm going to get to Pennsylvania Avenue another. But we're opening the old post office. Under budget, ahead of schedule, saved tremendous money. I'm a year ahead of schedule. And that's what this country should be doing. We build roads and they cost two and three and four times what they're supposed to cost. We buy products for our military and they come in at costs that are so far above what they were supposed to be because we don't have people that know what they're doing. When we look at the budget, the budget is bad to a large extent because we have people that have no idea as to what to do and how to buy. The Trump International is way under budget and way ahead of schedule, and we should be able to do that for our Well, country. we're well behind schedule, so I want to move to our next segment. Uh, we move into our next folks. segment talking about America's direction, and let's start by talking about race. The share of Americans who say race relations are bad in this country is the highest it's been in decades, much of it amplified by shootings of African Americans by police as we've seen recently in Charlotte and Tulsa. Race has been a big issue in this campaign, and one of you is going to have to bridge a very wide and bitter gap. So how do you heal the divide? Secretary Clinton, you get two minutes on this. Well, you're right. Race remains a significant challenge in our country. Unfortunately, race still determines too much, often determines where people live, determines what kind of education 
in their public schools they can get, and yes, it determines how they're treated in the criminal justice system. We've just seen those two tragic examples in both Tulsa and Charlotte. And we've got to do several things at the same time. We have to restore trust between communities and the police. We have to work to make sure that our police are using the best training, the best techniques, that they're well prepared to use force only when necessary. Everyone should be respected by the law, and everyone should respect the law. Right now, that's not the case in a lot of our neighborhoods. So I have, ever since the first day of my campaign, called for criminal justice reform. I've laid out a platform that I think would begin to remedy some of the problems we have in the criminal justice system. But we also have to recognize, in addition to the challenges that we face with policing, there are so many good, brave police officers who equally want reform. So we have to bring communities together in order to begin working on that as a mutual goal. And we've got to get guns out of the hands of people who should not have them. The gun epidemic is the leading cause of death of young African-American men, more than the next nine causes put together. So we have to do two things, as I said. We have to restore trust. We have to work with the police. We have to make sure they respect the communities and the communities respect them. And we have to tackle the plague of gun violence, which is a big contributor to a lot of the problems that we're seeing today. All right, Mr. Trump, you have two minutes. How do you heal the divide? Well, first of all, Secretary Clinton doesn't want to use a couple of words, and that's law and order. And we need law and order. If we don't have it, we're not going to have a country. And when I look at what's going on in Charlotte, a city I love, a city where I have investments, when I look at what's going on throughout various parts of our country, whether it's, I mean, I can just keep naming them all day long. We need law and order in our country. And I just got today uh, the, as you know, the endorsement of the Fraternal Order of Police. We just uh, just came in. Uh, we have endorsements from, I think, almost every police group. Very, I mean, a large percentage of them in the United States. Uh, we have a situation where we have uh, our inner cities, African Americans, Hispanics, are living in hell because it's so dangerous. You walk down the street, you get shot. In Chicago, they've had thousands of shootings, thousands, since January 1st. Thousands of shootings. And I'm saying, where is this? Is this a war-torn country? What are we doing? And we have to stop the violence. We have to bring back law and order. In a place like Chicago, where thousands of people have been killed, thousands over the last number of years. In fact, almost 4,000 have been killed since Barack Obama too. became president. Over four, almost 4,000 people in Chicago have been killed. We have to bring back law and order. Now, whether or not in a place like Chicago you do stop and frisk, which worked very well. Mayor Giuliani is here. It worked very well in New York. It brought the crime rate way down. But you take the gun away from criminals that shouldn't be having it. We have gangs roaming the street. And in many cases, they're illegally here, illegal immigrants. And they have guns. And they shoot people. 
And we have to be very strong. And we have to be very vigilant. We have to be, we have to know what we're doing. Right now, our police, in many cases, are afraid to do anything. We have to protect our inner cities because African American communities are being decimated you're, by crime. Your two, you two minutes expire, but I do want to follow up. Stop and frisk was ruled unconstitutional in New York because it, it largely singled out black and Hispanic young men. No, you're wrong. Uh, it went before a judge who was a very against police judge. Uh, it was taken away from her, and our mayor, our new mayor, refused to go forward with the case. They would have won an appeal. If you look at it, throughout the country, there are many places the where The argument is that it is, it's a form of racial profiling. No, the argument is that we have to take the guns away from these people that have them, and that are bad people that shouldn't have them. These are felons. These are people that are bad people that shouldn't be... When you have 3,000 shootings in Chicago from January 1st, when you have 4,000 people killed in Chicago by guns from the beginning of the presidency of Barack Obama, his hometown, you have to have stop and frisk. You need more police. You need a better community, uh, you know, uh, relation. You don't have good community relations in Chicago. It's terrible. I have property there. It's terrible what's going on in Chicago. But when you look, and Chicago's not the only. You go to Ferguson. You go to so many different places. You need better relationships. I agree with Secretary Clinton on this. You need better relationships between the communities and the police, because in some cases it's not good. But you look at Dallas, where the relationships were really studied. The relationships were really a beautiful thing. And then five police officers were killed one night very violently. So there's some bad things going on, some really bad things. Sir, Clinton, but we need, lesser. we need law and order. And we need law and order in the inner cities. Because the people that are most affected by what's happening are African-American and Hispanic people. And it's very unfair to them what our politicians are allowing to happen. Secretary Clinton. Well, I've heard, uh, I've heard Donald say this um, at his rallies. And it's, it's really unfortunate that he paints such a dire negative picture of black communities in our country oh. you know the vibrancy of the black church the black businesses that employ so many people uh, the opportunities that so many families are working to provide for their kids uh, there's a lot that we should be proud of and we should be supporting and lifting up but we do always have to make sure we keep people safe there are the right ways of doing it and then there are ways that are ineffective Stop and frisk was found to be unconstitutional, and in part because it was ineffective. It did not do what it needed to do. Now, I believe in community policing, and in fact, violent crime is one half of what it was in 1991. Property crime is down 40 percent. We just don't want to see it creep back up. We've had 25 years of very good cooperation, but there were some problems, some unintended consequences. Too many young African-American and Latino men ended up in jail for nonviolent offenses. And it's just a fact that if you're a young African-American man and you do the same thing as a young white man, you are more likely to be arrested, charged, convicted, and incarcerated. 
So we've got to address the systemic racism in our criminal justice system. We cannot just say law and order. We have to say we we have to come forward with a plan that is going to divert people from the criminal justice system, deal with mandatory minimum sentences, which have put too many people away for too long for doing too little. We need to have more second chance programs. I'm glad that we're ending private prisons in the federal system. I want to see them ended in the state system. You shouldn't have a profit motivation to fill prison cells with young Americans. So there are some positive ways we can work on this. And I believe strongly that common sense gun safety measures would assist us right now. And this is something Donald has supported along with the gun lobby right now. We've got too many military-style weapons on the streets. In a lot of places, our police are outgunned. We need comprehensive background checks, and we need to keep guns out of the hands of those who will do harm. And we finally need to pass a prohibition on anyone who's on the terrorist watch list from being able to buy a gun in our country. If you're too dangerous to fly... You are too dangerous to buy a gun. So there are things we can do, and we ought to do it in a bipartisan way. Secretary Clinton, last week you said we've got to do everything possible to improve policing, to go right at implicit bias. Do you believe that police are implicitly biased against black people? Lester, I think implicit bias is a problem for everyone, not just police. I think, unfortunately, too many of us in our great country um, jump to conclusions about each other. And therefore, I think we need all of us to be asking hard questions about, you know, why am I feeling this way? But when it comes to policing, since it can have literally fatal consequences, I have said in my first budget we would put money into that budget to help us deal with implicit bias by retraining a lot of our police officers. I've met with a group of very distinguished, experienced police chiefs a few weeks ago. They admit it's an issue. They've got a lot of concerns. Mental health is one of the biggest concerns because now police are having to handle a lot of really difficult mental health problems on the street. They want support. They want more training. They want more assistance. And I think the federal government could be in a position where we would uh, offer and provide that. I'd like to respond. Please. First of all, uh, I agree, and a lot of people, even within my own party, want to give uh, certain rights to people on watch lists and no-fly lists. I agree with you. When a person is on a watch list or a no-fly list, and I have the endorsement of the NRA, which I'm very proud of. These are very, very good people, and they're protecting the Second Amendment. But uh, I think we have to look very strongly at no-fly lists and watch lists. And when people are on there, even if they shouldn't be on there, we'll help them. We'll help them legally. We'll help them get off. But I tend to agree with that uh, quite strongly. I do want to bring up the fact that you were the one that brought up the word super predator about young black youth. And that's a term that I think was a, uh, it's it's been horribly met, as you know. I think you've apologized for it. But uh, I think it was a terrible thing to say. And when it comes to uh, stop and frisk, you know, you're talking about taking guns away. Well, I'm talking about taking guns away from gangs and people that use them. And I don't think, I really don't think you disagree with me on this, if you want to know the truth. I think maybe there's a political reason why you can't say it. But I really don't believe in New York City, stop and frisk 
We had 2,200 murders, and stop and frisk brought it down to 500 murders. 500 murders is a lot of murders. Hard to believe. 500 is, like, supposed to be good. But we went from 2,200 to 500, and it was continued on by Mayor Bloomberg, and it was terminated by current mayor. But stop and frisk had a tremendous impact on the safety of New York City, tremendous beyond belief. So when you say it has no impact, it really did. It had a very, very big impact. Well, it's also fair to say, if we're going to talk about uh, mayors, that under the current mayor, crime has continued to drop, including murders. So there uh, you're is... Wrong. You're wrong. No, I'm murders not. Murders are up. All right. You'll New York, New York has you'll done an excellent job. And I give credit. I give credit across the board going back uh, to mayors, to police uh, chiefs, because it has worked. And other communities need to come together to do what will work uh, as well. Look, one murder is too many. But it is important that we learn about what has been effective and not go to things that sound good that really did not have the kind of impact that we would want. Who disagrees with keeping neighborhoods safe? But let's also add, no one should disagree about respecting the rights of young men who live in those neighborhoods. All right, and folks, so uh, this will conclude painfully the Hagman and Hagman report for this uh, debate Monday. I, I think the optics uh, for tomorrow, I, I, I believe that, uh, just from what I've seen here, and folks, I don't know, from what you've seen, I, I, I do suspect that uh, you're going to, the, the press is going to declare Hillary Clinton the clear winner tonight. Um, it, it kind of went sideways for, for Donald. I, this is just my professional view it kind of went sideways i think if you if you heard it there was some strain there and it just didn't feel right and i think um i think he he's, he had a couple of chances that he missed um the stop and frisk probably shouldn't have been a big issue for donald trump but uh yeah time will tell until tomorrow ladies and gentlemen have a safe night and saddle for battle it's going to get uh, rough out there god bless